I had not seen this movie when we made the Sins video. Right. This was one that you guys put together. That's right. Um, <laughs> you got to take all the heat for it. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by Cinema Sins. Everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Huzzah! And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Dilly dilly, <laughs> dilly dilly. I actually can't help myself but laugh at that. Like I don't want to laugh. It's like, like a beer commercial, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's Bud Light. I don't want to laugh at beer commercials. I really I don't, don't. But that I, one gets me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, I, I'm not on this train. I'm not on this dilly dilly train. <laughs> the first time I saw that commercial, I was like, oh, fuck me. That's <laughs> <laughs> something about, you know, certain syllables put together are just funny. I yeah. Think. Yeah. It's mm. it's silly. Yeah. Well, and I was fine dilly with it silly. just being silly. Like just, but I was like, oh man, is this going to, is this going to take off? And then I saw a new ad like a week later. I was yeah. like, this took off. Yeah. It's like the Budweiser frogs. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. going to see a few more. Funny the first time. But, but well, then, see, I didn't even know there's more than one. I think I've only seen one. Oh, I've seen like, there's at least six or seven now. Of yeah. the dilly dillies? Yeah. Yeah. Really? There's the one now that they have like a magician that's in like a Merlin type or whatever. And the, the king wants him to like change everything into Bud Light. Yeah. And- <laughs> like i can make you immortal he's like yeah. no just the bud light <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's like two with the magician and then there's like another one where everybody's like in a torture chamber or yeah, like yeah, yeah. something like that yeah there's like a million oh there. man i think i've only seen the one oh i don't God. pay that much attention when commercials come on yeah. and i think those commercials probably are only running on sports and uh and yeah mm-hmm. and then i've also heard uh just people outside of just you know watching tv just say it oh really that's when i knew it had hit the the public conscious I, I in a way my that, dilly I was, dilly. that I was not expecting. <laughs> Remember when everybody was going around doing I Love You, Man? Not the movie, oh, yeah, but yeah, the yeah. beer yeah, commercial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> we, th- we have other things to discuss today. <laughs> besides. We're not even ranting yet. We're not no. ranting <laughs> We yet. are kind of. <laughs> kind of ranting, yes. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I'm as mad as hell. You've never seen me very upset. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Uh, so uh, we people seem to appreciate this new format so yeah. far. Um, I, uh, I have I've had uh, multiple people say that they liked the off-topic rants, but I did see one person say they didn't like the off-topic rant. Uh, um, I got them covered this week. <laughs> I, got a, I got a movie-related rant. Nice. I I do too. Uh, and I and I think essentially we do want to have movie rants. Mm-hmm. But that week, that was just, I mean, we had just come off of that that first one. <laughs> and, you know, it's been just one week since. And I had not seen anything new. I hadn't seen anything that bothered me, anything, you know. And I was like, all right, well, we'll talk about sports or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's endangering the uh, uh, the audience. Well, I like that today, though, before we've even really gone very far, we've already kind of ranted about tiny houses <laughs> and dilly dilly. <laughs> yes. So, you know, like maybe rant will become our thing. Well, I've got a commercial-related rant, if you yeah, want me to start. Go for it. So speaking of commercials that have been airing on sports, because you can't get around the the commercials. If you're on, on demand, you're watching a movie or something like that that's on IFC or something like that, typically you can fast-forward through the commercials. If you're watching it online, you can typically go do something else or something like that. But you're beholden in sports, because if you leave during a commercial, the 
game may come back on and you, you have missed something. Yeah, because sometimes I'll go to the bathroom thinking I got a whole commercial break and I'll come back and the score is different. Because yeah, exactly. They, they overturned a touchdown and while I was peeing. Mm. Well, and, and the worst offender is hockey. Because yeah. like in oh a second, it could be 0-0 zero, zero for whatever. I don't want this to be a sports movie. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, so I'm beholden to this. And there's these commercials Nationwide is doing, mm. both on YouTube and on the sports uh, broadcasts. And it's Tori Kelly, who's an American singer, who's a terrific singer, by mm-hmm. the way. And she's doing, she's plucking the guitar and she's doing this nice, like, sentimental ballad about Nationwide. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, fuck you, Tori <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> fuck you, because nobody is this emotional about fucking Nationwide insurance. And it started with Brad Paisley doing it, and yep. we all saw it on YouTube. And it was one of those, like, unskippable ads for 15 seconds or whatever it was. Well, and I couldn't even <laughs> sing that song to you. Yeah, exactly. And there was an R&B singer that did one. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, know. anyway, I, I, I can't stand it anymore. Stop it. They started doing, like, a humorous take on it with Brad Paisley and Peyton Manning, where Which he's I like, can't oh, well, stand. Oh, well, here's what we're going to do. I'll, I'll tell you to change it up. Okay, we're almost there. Fuck that, too. Yeah. But the self-serious nature of, like, this is going to emotionally connect to people because one of their favorite singers is playing guitar and, like, wistfully looking out into the sun. Fuck that. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. Well, the serious insurance commercials are terrible. They are. Except for that one that made me cry with the little girl who, like, scrapes her knee and her dad comes and comforts her. And then the next thing you see, she's, like, nine. And oh, and yeah. Somebody steals her bike or something. Yeah. And it's basically throughout her life, her and her dad's relationship, and it ends with, like, their wedding dance. And this time, she's wiping the tears away from his face. Yeah. That one kind of gets Yeah, me. I get you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you, gotta, you have to be really creative if you're going to go for a serious insurance ad. Like, if you're going to go for a serious insurance ad, you might as well just say, do you want to die? <laughs> do you want to lose your car forever? Well, and then you don't want to get too serious, because wasn't it Nationwide that had that Super Bowl commercial? Oh, the, the kid dead died? dad? It was it? The it, kid died. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, like he he's on the bus and he coughs and there's like all these animated germs that fucking come out. God, I don't and, know what you're talking about. Oh, this was this. a this was last year, wasn't it? No, this was two or three two, years yeah, ago. Yeah. Um. Uh. Where? Yeah. I believe it was nationwide. It could have. It was some insurance company. That's the other problem. Is that yeah. they all run together. Yeah. 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 And uh. And it was this kid. It was this kid who dies. Fucking dies. He Super Bowl commercial. In a Super Bowl commercial. Like the when you first see him <laughs> cough on the bus and all those little animated germs come out, you're like, what the. F- Fuck just happened. And then, yeah, he dies. And, of course, this was definitely the uh, Seahawks-Patriots Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, there was a meme later when they didn't hand it off to Marshawn Lynch. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, I would have handed it off to Marshawn Lynch, but I died. <laughs> with that kid's picture of course <laughs> oh that's awesome oh my god oh anyway yeah, i hate those commercials have, yeah if you haven't seen that commercial it's worth looking up because this was during the super bowl it was yeah, insane man. well there's a couple of them aren't even trying anymore no because they'll just put something like the whoever's doing the one with the iced tea lemonade stand oh yeah they just do something stupid and incongruous and then at the end they go stupid and incongruous go to geico yeah, or yeah. whatever like it's <laughs> like there's no connection whatsoever yeah mm-hmm. anyway i like at least like the ones that jk simmons does for farmers yeah um because i i like the at least the current batch they're running where you get to see like a 
you know, a staged reenactment of some yeah. crazy moose yeah. accident or something. Yeah. And then it cuts back to like they're in a museum and he's shooting. We covered it. And I bet you if you did some research, you might find out some of those are true. Yeah. Like. Because he like shouts out like a date, like December 5th, 1992. Yeah. Now you could probably make some of that stuff sure. up, but I think it's actually a more powerful advertisement if it's true yeah. because it's some crazy shit yeah. and you don't know what's going to happen in your life. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm research that. do you want to die, Barrett? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get some fucking insurance. Get some insurance. Right. Uh, well, no, I agree with your rant. My rant uh, today is about uh, a trend in trailers. Mm. Now, there's already too many trailers. Fucking three trailers for most films, international trailers, TV spots. Mm-hmm. And then we're, we're in the midst of the glory age of the teaser trailer. <laughs> the worst offender of which is the kind that doesn't show you anything. It's mm-hmm. just an announcement. But now online... Any tentpole movie's first trailer, it starts with like a three-second clip from the trailer, a tease, (laughs) and then the logo. Yeah. And then the trailer, including the shit that I just saw in the first three seconds. Like for the Jurassic World sequel, Mm -hmm. like it was the money shot of Chris Pratt running away from volcanic ash, because you can do that. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, of course, that shot's later on in the trailer. What's the point? Yeah, I have no idea. Who were the fucking ad wizards that said, you know what we need to do? People are not going to watch a minute and a half long trailer. They are not stoked enough for Infinity War. <laughs> we have to start the trailer with the money shot. And they'll be like, oh, God! <laughs> in, in theory, I can see why they would do it. However, okay, so like on a skip ad on YouTube or whatever, or whatever you want to have something you don't want to have just that green you know the following preview is is approved for all audiences and all that because sure. most of the time people are just going to skip it right as soon as they you know because they're never going to see one frame of that trailer or whatever and i'm now, sure that's where it started now we don't see those trailers though the trailers that you're talking about we don't see that one with the three seconds or whatever as an ad on youtube as an ad on youtube right. It's so a, that's like an why, upload to YouTube. So that's why it doesn't make much sense. To, it would make sense to do it if you were if it was sort of a gr- attention grabber. Or if but, it was an autoplay ad. Right, right. I get the, I get that. You know, give them a two a couple frames and maybe we'll win them over. Yeah, but, but you're going to watch the trailer. I'm like talking, you're yeah, actively seeking out. Only seems to be done like they're not doing that for the trailer for Ladybird. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're doing it for these tentpole. That'd be awesome. These tentpole <laughs> big budget films. So Infinity Wars trailer was going to get viewed. 15 million times the first day or 100 million times, however the fuck mm-hmm. many it was, regardless of whether or not it had a three-second teaser in front of it. Right? Yep. No one clicked play on the Infinity War trailer and saw a Marvel logo and went, fuck it, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> what is this? And like, it just it drives me crazy because it is literally three seconds I will never get back. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know that probably, and this is what we're sort of getting to, was that the, you know, when you, I don't know if this has anything to do with the YouTube, YouTube creator handbook or what, but... I know that they're like in that they're like grab your viewers attention in the first 15 seconds yep. and all that. And I'm wondering if that was some sort of just like, well, we got to do that then or whatever, even though people are already actively clicking on your trailer yeah. because it says Avengers Infinity War on it. And it's, 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 it's multiple studios are doing There's clearly some kind of industry thinking and it just bo- it boggles my mind. It boggles mm-hmm. my mind almost as much as digital posters. Yeah. It's a, it's a picture of a poster. It's not a poster. Don't well, call this, it a poster. If you're going to YouTube to seek out a trailer, you're going to get a pre-roll ad even before you get that three seconds in front of the trailer. Yeah, you're pro- almost certainly going to get a 15-second unskippable yeah. ad. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't get it. I don't get it either. And it's like, I'm not, 
I'm not so mad about it that I'm like screaming and cussing. It's not that ranty, but it is really pestering. Yeah. And I, my brain, the way my brain works, I just want to understand shit. Mm-hmm. Like my neighbor will come out and start his van an hour and a half before he actually comes out and gets in it and drives away. <laughs> and I have invented dozens of reasons why this might be. Mm-hmm. I have a few leading theories, but my brain just wants to understand the weirdness I'm seeing. And in this instance, with these teasers in front of trailers that are literally part of the trailer, I, don't, I cannot understand that, and I cannot tolerate it. <laughs> you are absolutely right, though, that that three-second thing throws me off all the time because I'll see it, and uh, and then the trailer starts, and then you see it again. You're like, whoa, yeah. did I, didn't I just see that? That was part of the was. Oh, that was a preview <laughs> of the preview. Yes. Yeah. On yeah. the preview itself. On the preview. Yeah. It's yeah. like our attention spans have not gotten that short. Mm-hmm. No, no. It doesn't impart any information that I'm not going to see in two seconds anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I got a bonus rant. I'll make it really quick. All right. You know how I like my friends reruns? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what Spike started doing the other day? The, the network? The network. Uh-huh. They're one of the channels. Spike, TBS, Nick at Night. I think sometimes MTV. There's like three or four channels that play Friends reruns. Instead of 30 minutes, they're running an episode of Friends in a 40-minute block. Oh, whoa. And filling in extra ads. Mm. Like I was flipping between Friends and one of the NFL games, I think the Buffalo game that I barely cared about. And I thought I had flipped to the game and forgotten because the commercial break took too long. And Mm -hmm. I thought I had just caught two different channels' commercial breaks. Nope, I was on the Friends channel. It was like an eight and a half minute commercial break. Jesus. Whoa. Why would you even do that in this day and age where it's so there's so much content that people are going to flip off as soon as they see a commercial? I can go to goddamn Netflix and watch every episode of Friends anytime I want exactly. in succession. Yeah. And yeah. Then none of those are edited. Yeah. Anyway, so that just really bothered me. I, t- I only saw this like two days ago, and I'm going to send them an angry <laughs> It's funny. They, they they did this one thing at one time where they would, of course, they'd cut out the uh, you know the opening intro or whatever, so that would be an extra ad that they could throw in. Yep. But then there was also the speeding up. The, of the credits. The, well, speed, well, the credits is the other thing. That's the other thing that they sort of cut. But the the entire episode is sped up. Oh, by like a hundred and four percent. Yeah, of so enough that you can still oh. tell that it's that it's you know you you don't see that it's really sped up. But yeah. like somebody went through a whole like thing, and like, we may know a thing or two about that. We do. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's funny by because people actually listen to us on like one and a half times speed, so that they can get through it quicker. Mm-hmm. I think Aaron Dicer does that. Well, that I could not. God, what does my voice sound like when you do that? It's weird. I've I've tried it because it's because at least when if you're doing it in Premiere or something, you have the option to keep the audio at the same pitch, uh-huh. um, which you don't always need to do. But with YouTube, if you speed it up, that's gonna make me chipmunk, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so used to hearing all of our voices for so many hours that when I sped it up, I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> Believe here? me, there have been some times where we've had some ranty sins where I'm like, "I'm gonna speed up Jeremy's narration." <laughs> And then I do it just the slightest bit, and I'm like, nope, can't do it. Can't fucking do it. Okay, what are we, what, what's going to happen here? Blah, 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 blah. All right, what's your rant topic? Um, I'm wondering where Hollywood um, got the idea that movie nerds talk the way that they do in movies. Oh, oh yeah. Um, I was watching uh, a rare bird the other day called I Love You, Beth Cooper. Oh, I've I seen this movie. Yeah. Hayden Panettiere and, yeah. and uh, Paul Rust, who's in that uh, Netflix show called Love, mm-hmm. uh, is in it. Um, 
I saw this movie back in in theaters, believe it or not. Um, but uh, there's a movie nerd that Paul Rust's best friend is in this movie, and every time he talks about a movie, he has to name the movie, the director, and the year. Oh, mm. fuck that! So it's like Brian De Palma, Scarface, and then he said 1982, which is verifi- verifiably what? wrong. <laughs> And uh, and uh, but how does that shit happen? I don't get that either. Oh Jesus! But like all through this movie, he's saying stuff like that, like you know, this movie, the director, and the year. And I'm like, I understand that you got to figure out a way to make this guy a nerd, like a mega nerd or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But that's not that. I mean, that's not even human. No. I mean, nobody does that. I mean, I, not even us. No, yeah. Considering that I'm a fucking movie nerd, I've never once been like. Scream, <laughs> Wes Craven, 1996. <laughs> Never have once said. Although they do that in that. <laughs> that's what I'm about to say. In Scream, you have Randy, played by Jamie Kennedy, who does that all the way through there. Like, yep. you know, like like they're asking, uh, you know, like, uh, is it uh, Matthew Lillard? Who's like, when are we going to get to see Jamie's breasts? Yeah. And, um, and, and he's like, not until trading places in 1983. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, so like, nobody says, and it's even worse in scream too, because Mickey is the one who does it in that, yeah. you know? And he's like, cause when Jerry O'Connell does the bullshit, like, uh, singing for Nev Campbell in the cafeteria thing, he's like, Tom Cruise, Top Gun, 1986 yeah, yeah. Like, and they, you! they even put they even put jamie kennedy in the second one in that film class mm-hmm. fueled with people like that yes who take film more seriously than i think even real people do yeah well i think and they're wrong too well, and right? they're wrong about the aliens quote yeah he's like stay away from your he's like he's like get away from her you bitch and then randy's like i believe the quote is called stay away from you, yeah. you bitch. this is a film class right and i'm like fuck you randy you didn't get it right you corrected the wrong thing fucking dick yeah <laughs> but yeah they, they, that seems to happen quite a bit whenever there's a movie nerd they have to go through that whole whole thing you can just simply have him have a lot of knowledge about movies, and that mm-hmm. pretty much tells you the, all you need to know. Do we have, uh, you may not be prepared for this, so I'm sorry if I'm throwing you a curveball. Do we have any examples we can think of of a good portrayal of a movie nerd? I I don't know of one right off the top of my head. I mean, I could, there's a bunch of characters I could make a case for, but mm-hmm. I, they're not they're not being portrayed as like I could make a case for Clarence uh, Worley in True Romance the way he talks oh, about yeah. kung fu movies. Yeah, and 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 that and it, coming from Tarantino and everything, yeah. he would know how a movie nerd would talk and everything. Same thing would go for Travolta and Get Shorty, even though that wasn't Tarantino or anything. But Travolta knows yeah. a lot about movies too, but he's not sitting there going, you know you know touch of evil orson well <laughs> 1956 and even travolta in pulp fiction where he's like you know that is jane mansfield that is mamie van dorn <laughs> right i don't see uh who Marilyn was monroe i don't see you, you that's know, monroe right. yeah, yeah yeah but yeah no I, I don't get it but yeah tarantino is is really the only one that can handle it because the way that we talk and obviously people have listened to us talk for however long but the way that we talk in real life is like um, you know, Rushmore and somebody will say like, oh, when did that come out? Was that 98 and 99? And of well, course, Chris will tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but like, you know, that's how you talk. You don't 
list off the IMDb right as in normal conversation. By the way, I totally got I did what the movie did and and fucked up the touch of evil year, by the way. Oh, <laughs> I mean, 1958 is when that came oh, out, by the well. way. But anyway, shut it down. Right, shut it down. <laughs> um but yeah, I, I I just don't and I think that probably goes for most nerds that they put in in movies, mm-hmm. but like when it's a specific thing that they're good at uh, they're all they're always doing stuff like that, but like it it, doesn't, it seems more egregious in the movie thing because it's just you know it's random facts and like you know you know director year is like the way that we express their nerdism you know instead of just knowing stuff about movies. No, yeah. the the dialogue is. I'll tell you another example is in Righteous Kill mm-hmm. when uh, because they're both apparently like baseball nerds, mm-hmm. Pacino and De Niro. And like to solve the killer's like identity or whatever, they're like, that's what Ted Williams' average was in 1968 or whatever it was. Oh wow! Mm. <laughs> mm. Baird is losing it. <laughs> I can't stop making righteous kill it. I know this is like the third time we've talked about it recently. Such a great movie. <laughs> we've talked about it before, right? How awesome that movie yes, is. Yes, it's a great movie. Yes, it is. Oh, oh my well, god. Well, you can't go wrong with De Niro and Pacino. No, there's definitely um, no way that you could go wrong. <laughs> By the way, since you brought up Tarantino, it sounds like this Tarantino Star Trek R rated movie is gonna actually move forward. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of Trek fans on social media who are like, That's not Trek. Oh, really? Well, yeah, and the, many of these people said this about J.J. Abrams' Trek, yeah. uh, because you know at least the television series was always more about social issues than it was about action. Um, although that cast went on to make movies that were action, I just wanted to tell everybody out there, it's not your Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't own it. Yeah. The guy who did own it, he dead. Yes. Um, <laughs> so it can be whatever it can be. Things evolve. For the love of God, won't you get sick of it if it's the same thing over and over again? Yeah. There's a reason Star Trek The Next Generation went off the air. People <laughs> stopped watching it. Yeah. Isn't isn't this sort of what we're running into with all of this stuff, though? I mean, obviously with Star Wars, we had the Star Wars base come out and yep. say, you know, this isn't Star Wars. Uh, we were talking about James Bond again last week. And we're like, you know, like people were like, oh, James Bond looks like this and yep. blah, blah, blah. And then they go and see it anyway. <laughs> if it... If it if it has the name and and it looks good, they're going to go see it. Mm-hmm. This is why I, I you should never be resistant to change. And they can always make this a one-off. I'm I'm fine with them doing one-off things like that. That's why, like, what was it? The Scorsese Batman is supposed to be like that. Yeah, the Joker or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The um, I I I think you said you weren't for that, but. No, because I don't think the Joker needs an origin story. No, he doesn't. Yeah. But I think I think I like the idea of, uh, in, even if this isn't a one-off, but I, I mean, I would like the idea of a one-off where you just say, this is its own separate entity or whatever. We'll see how it goes. If people like it, we'll make more. But maybe that's just the thing Trek needs to, you know, get infused with a little life. And, and what? Little- you don't think that Tarantino isn't going to write something that has like some sort of like socially conscious stuff in it? I mean, he's a fan of Trek enough that he- there's going to be that in there. And maybe there'll be more action and maybe there'll be more cussing and maybe there'll be some nudity. But I don't think there's anything about Trek that says it can't involve those things ever. No, no. In fact, that's why I talked to last episode about the USS Callister episode in uh, Black Mirror. That's what made it so interesting as, as a moderate Trek fan. Like, I ate that episode up because it was subversive and it was a new take, yeah. even using 
very trekky stuff. In yeah. fact, all different phases of trek. And it was hilarious. It was profane. It was, you know, it, that's the kind of stuff that I'm interested. I'm fine with regular canon trek too. But like, yeah, take it in new directions. That's the whole point of the series. Yeah. It's almost like back when they announced Next Generation, I guarantee you 50% of Trek fans were like, that's not Trek. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. It's not Kirk. The Enterprise <laughs> does not look like that. Yeah. And, you know, it went on to be probably the best of all the series they've ever done. Mm. So it's not your Trek. Yep. Get over it. Let Tarantino make something awesome. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, and, and again, he just, you don't even have, it doesn't even have to be. I mean, you don't have to sit there and go, this is canon or anything. Just say, this is a new look at it. Yeah. This is something I've always wanted, by the way. Somebody like Tarantino to take care of a, like a Star Trek or something, because cause it, it's going to be different. And, it yeah. may, and who knows? It may suck ass, but who cares? <laughs> I want to see it. Yeah. I want to see something different. All, yeah. all of these, all, have there been five Transformers? There have been five Transformers movies. Yes. Yeah. They're all the same. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not, they're not showing me anything new. So maybe, you know, if Source Core says he wanted to say, hey, I'd like to try my hand at uh, Transformers 6, mm-hmm. fucking let him do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if it comes with an R rating, let's breathe some new life. God yeah. damn. Yeah. He's probably not going to put in a scene where you go over rape laws. <laughs> probably not. Statutory rape laws. That's my guess. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, they're different in space. Oh, wait, we're talking about Transformers. <laughs> That's right. So I jumped right back oh, to Star Trek. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Do we want to go into some news? Let's do some news. News on the mark. Instead of one big shot controlling all the media, now there's a thousand freaks Xeroxing their worthless opinion. Ooh, has there been any news? There's been some news. Oh, let's hear it. All right. I'm going to try not to get into the too much into the current political landscape. But as everyone knows, <laughs> after the Golden Globes, Oprah made a fucking speech when accepting the Cecil B. DeMille. Um, it's a good speech. Yeah. It's a great speech. I feel like people overreacted a little bit. There have been, what, 74 speeches before then, yeah. accepting the Cecil B. DeMille Award. A lot of them have been very good. Yeah. The uh, Denzel uh, acceptance speech not too long ago was really, really good. She made a great speech, but suddenly she's running for fucking president. Well, I mean, <laughs> and this is this is why I'm glad that I saw this on your list, because I've been thinking about this a lot. Everything's on the table. Yeah. Trump changed everything by winning because he was, by all accounts, a year before winning, someone that neither side thought stood any chance of winning. Right. Even the Republicans mm-hmm. who love him now. Um, and then he won. <laughs> and so now, for, of course, the first step in this direction was Ronald Reagan, the former actor mm-hmm. who at the, the his actor? time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's um, vice president? Jerry Lewis. <laughs> and so when The Rock says shit about maybe running for president. When Clooney talks about how he's given it thought, when Oprah th- says she's intrigued by it, nothing is off the table. Fuck, yeah. Mickey Rourke could run for president, and I'm not going to be able to tell you there's no chance he can win. <laughs> he's definitely a Green because Party it candidate. Because it is now a no-holds-barred game. The game has changed completely. Yeah. And for 200-plus years, our country has believed—I'm sorry, I'm stealing your news. No, go ahead. Our country has believed, well, the people who need to run the country are the people who have run states or mm-hmm. run towns or have been senators or what have you and never elect an athlete mm-hmm. or an actor anything alex rodriguez could run for president yeah. uh, the steroid thing would not be scandal enough to keep him from winning because guess what trump had way more scandals yeah <laughs> so um i'm intrigued about where we're gonna go if oprah one runs for president see there's a part of me and you know i like chaos yeah 
And we've uh, certainly had some chaos. Yeah, you've already got it. <laughs> you've already got it right now. But, you know, we're idiocracy, man. Uh, yeah. I, nah. This is where this is where we are as a nation. We're already in chaos. Where if you make an acceptance speech that's good, that's that's even excellent. It's a fucking acceptance speech for her contributions to film and media. Yeah. It does not mean that she should be a head of state. Ronald Reagan was a governor before he was the president. Like she has no political experience whatsoever, but this is how starved we are for some sort of opposite opposite to where, yes, she could make a terrific president. She could make a terrific movie president, but she has no political experience whatsoever. So it's like, man, but neither does the guy that's there now. Like it, it, and it became it was like this Tarantino thing. You heard about the Tarantino Star Trek thing. And like, th- oh, that's that's an interesting rumor. Three days later, like it's fucking happening. Yep. And it's like, what what just happened? Like, this mm-hmm. this pace is, like, untenable. Yeah. And the same thing, and like, the TV wasn't even off from the Golden Globes, and people are just tweet-storming about how great Oprah would be as president, based on this speech. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, ah, yeah, okay. Exactly. Well, this has think, turned into a rant, but it was obviously a big news item. I think people are poised during an event like the Golden Globes, where we got millions of viewers. I think they're poised to be moved. Mm-hmm. Because most of those shows are unmoving, right? Yeah. So when Natalie Portman says, here are your all-male nominees for Best Director, yeah, it gets more like a, oh, girl, you did not. Yeah, exactly. But really, she stated a fact, and it was kind of, I thought it was more of a joke than a bar, but and she's pointing out the obvious. Yeah, yeah. She can't do anything about it. Poor Ron Howard. She could have at least tipped him off that it was coming. <laughs> that was like a George Bush doesn't care about black people. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but my point is we treated it like that, but it was nowhere near that right. unexpected yeah, yeah. or shocking. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I think Oprah got way more. Pr- I, I watched the speech. I was not watching the show. Uh, but the, I mean, people were talking about, oh, I just went to church and I'm like, oh, I got to <laughs> see what she said. And I'm like, oh, well, a lot of wholesome, positive message. Stuff. Exactly. Like. You would have thought she was up there going, you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. <laughs> Oprah for president, not unrealistic. Yeah, Ronald I, McDonald for president, not unrealistic. Yeah, and, and just to tie it up, like there, there was just, there's there's such an overreaction to this Golden Globes. I know there was a lot of loaded stuff in there with the Me Too thing, the Time's Up movement and all that stuff. But it's like, you know, people, if, if they didn't, if Sam Rockwell didn't specifically mention this, then you know he's not on our side. He didn't go far enough and stuff like that. The reaction to this ceremony, both with Oprah and with the Times Up stuff, and like you know they didn't they didn't do enough to to get the message across. It's like everybody calm down yeah. a second. It's a fucking golden. It's not even the Oscars, right? All right, it's it's fun. But uh, yeah, yeah, just like Warren Beatty said, the Golden Globes are fun. The Oscars are business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, good one. Good news. I yeah, got good got news. Check. Do you have a I'm news? I'm spreading item? the good news. Uh, not so much news. Um, I was looking just before you know we did our answers over email and everything like that, and there wasn't much that I could pick on. Like, yeah, a lot of the news is coming out of the Golden Globes, like mm. what Barrett was talking about there. Um, and uh, but I saw a thing in the Hollywood Reporter that was kind of interesting because. It took six uh, big cinematographers and get, asked them a bunch of questions about uh, just a, a, a wide variety of topics. One of them was happy accidents on set and stuff like that. It was really interesting to hear uh, the guy who did uh, the There Will Be Blood cinematography was talking about how like they wanted when they in the scene where the oil derrick is is you know blowing up and on on fire and everything they wanted 
it was supposed to just set on fire and like sort of gradually like build up all this you know thing so that they could shoot a whole bunch of different scenes and everything but apparently as soon as they let that thing it just went <laughs> like that <laughs> oh shit and like so they uh so he said it was really cool because it's like he's like paul thomas anderson loves these type of accidents so <laughs> what they went and they shot a whole bunch of stuff real quick and you can kind of see it in that scene where everything's oh. just kind of like everybody's running around and it's just like real hectic and yeah, yeah. all that. And it's like it really worked out for the movie in the, in the long run oh, for us to do that. And, and that's hilarious because that, that was the incident that delayed uh, No Country for Old Men, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's too much smoke in the, uh, the I scene. think there's some smoke in the shot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what can from? Get... Uh, fire about five miles away? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can yeah. we make this a little bit bigger so the Coens can, you know, delay it? <laughs> exactly. And he was, uh, was talking to... Uh, and I'll never get this dude's name right, but uh, the guy who does uh, Spielberg cinematography these days, the Janusz Kaminski, mm-hmm. um, he uh, he was talking about how in AI there was a you know the scene where you know uh, uh, Haley Joel Osment is all blurry and everything, and he walks off the elevator and he becomes clear or whatever. Mm. That was something that was an accident. Spielberg oh. was like, "Oh no, just keep it that way. That'll, that'll be awesome." He's and had so, a few happy accidents. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> Uh, I was reading about Brian Cranston when he guested on Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. Did you see this story? So like a couple few weeks ago, he gave an interview where he talked about that guest experience and how he was really happy because he made Seinfeld laugh. <laughs> and like they had done a couple takes or warm ups. And one of the like stage hands suggested that when before you put the gas mask on Jerry, you should take a hit of it like it's a drug. <laughs> <laughs> and so Cranston did it. And they had to do a bunch of takes because Seinfeld kept cracking up every time. <laughs> And he's famously hard to, I mean, he made himself laugh a bunch while making that show, but he's not the kind, I mean, it's not easy to make laugh because yeah. he's seen or heard at all. Anyway, I thought that was a pretty funny story. That episode was on the other day, too. God, that's hilarious because he takes that, he's like, yep, okay, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> and then right after that is the scene where Jerry wakes up and they're like putting their clothes back on. But uh, what they, what the, the one thing that uh, that came out of that cinematographer thing was that uh, there was a you know, the discussion about film versus digital. And when I hmm. when I see Roger Deakins, who I believe is my favorite cinematographer, mm-hmm. say uh, there, it's just what's in the frame; it doesn't matter if it's film or digital. Then I think that ends it. I think that yeah, ends no debate. kidding. And I think I was resistant to it as a as a projectionist who had seen stuff on thirty five millimeter for so long yeah. and everything, and and we were changing over to digital projectors. As far as digital projectors are concerned, I was for it, even though it was basically just going to get me out of. I mean, it was going to take my job away from me essentially. Took your job, yeah. Took your job. Um, I was fine. I was fine with it because I knew the state of projection was so low at that point that. It, it was going to be better because people just kept fucking up 35 millimeter. They, they, they're in a hurry. They thread these things the wrong way. They scratch the films up. They mm. have all sorts of dirt on it. There's projectors that have problems that the technicians can't solve right away. So that you have like, you run a movie through it, like, you know, uh, 40 times before a technician comes in and then yeah. that prints ruined and you can order new ones, but it, you know, you're just going to fuck it up. So I was fine with the projectors, but we've been watching movies that have been shot on digital even before the digital projectors came in. Sure. And I don't think I can tell the difference at all. I mean, it, it's just, yeah, no, I don't think you can. And there are a lot of people who think you can mm-hmm. or think they can. Mm. And I think maybe they're a little deluded. Now, I think if you shift this conversation a little bit, 
into effects, practical versus digital, then I think it's an entirely different oh, con- totally. conclusion. But yeah. in terms of what what the camera is, whether it's digital, I mean, they had the same debate in audio technology. There are bands like, I think R.A.M. was one of them, that just like insist on shooting tape to tape or reel to reel, recording reel to reel, physical tape, as mm-hmm. opposed to recording digital because they think it sounds better. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, yeah, not. No, I know, like, everybody's real into, like, vinyl now, mm-hmm. has a unique thing. I'm not saying don't love it, but don't tell me the audio quality is better than digital. No, no, it's, it's totally different. It's totally different. It's it's a warmer sound, but it's a less crisp sound. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, yes, I can tell a difference, and I understand why people would want to do that, um, but I, I'm always for the best quality. And if somebody like Roger Deacon says that, A, there's really no difference, and B, it's more efficient... And certainly less wasteful mm-hmm. than fucking do it. Well, that's yeah. the thing. That the reason we went this direction wasn't just because you know, hey, everything's moving. Di- I mean, film's expensive as fuck. Yeah, man. Yeah. And so that's why everybody started flocking to shooting digital. And I agree. I think it is what's in the frame that counts. And that that's why I th- started thinking about effect because I was like, but what's in the frame still has to look real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the corn in the latest Justice League movie did not look real. <laughs> right. Nor did the mustache. But the corn, <laughs> yeah. but the corn in Interstellar looked real because right. it was real. Right. Because he planted fucking like, I don't know, 500 acres of corn for that movie. Yeah, <laughs> there's definitely a, a thing about effects. I mean, uh, you know, you look at what Yoda looks like in Empire Strikes Back and then you see him in Last Jedi and you're like, okay, I guess that's Yoda. But <laughs> it, if you go and look at Empire Strikes Back, you can see hairs oh, and yeah. like all these little yeah. things. The, the, the puppetry is so much is so much better. I agree with you on the effects. As far as actually getting shot, though, it's yeah. There's not much. There. I've heard William Friedkin say this too, and I saw I heard him on the Mark Maron's podcast saying that there's no difference. I love shooting on digital, and this is a guy from the 70s. Yeah, yeah. no shit. You know, yeah. I, he would think that is going to be Mister. You know, ah, oh, 35. There's nothing beats it, and yeah. whatever. Uh, I don't know if you guys watched that last Project Greenlight that no. was on. Mm-mm. There was a guy on there who won the competition. His name was Jason Mann and his in like he i impossible to work with i would imagine i mean this guy uh he gets this of course they get they give him the micro budget like they do on project Greenlight, which i think is an instant like non-starter yeah because to shoot a movie for a million dollars you're really just hamstringing all these people what they can do who they can hire all yep. these different things and they and I think they leave it that way so they can have that interesting conflicted show. Yeah, and everything. That's probably also why they let the guy win who's hard to work with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this guy for the first oh before they even shot it or whatever, it seemed like every episode he he was going to his producer and going, "I really want to shoot this on film. I don't want to shoot on digital." And like so the like even the, it was was it. It was Peter and Bobby Fairley, one of the Fairley brothers, was a producer on this or whatever. Mm. Uh, was like, here, I'll show you a side by side of the of film and digital, and you can tell me, you know, can you tell me what's which, what's what? And uh, I guess he saw it or whatever. Was like, yeah, there's just something missing in that that digital. I can tell. There's just a warmth or a depth, and I can't. And like he fought for this shit the entire way before they even started shooting and then finally the producer finally got it for him which is like an extra 600 grand to make this on film i think something like that something something like that 
and uh and 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 she she was the one the focal point of that project Greenlight because she was always seemed like she got into some sort of argument with somebody she was right most of the time <laughs> <laughs> and and uh like you, you see these people arguing with her and everything she, there was one incident I thought she was a little upset at uh, the fairly the fairly the, I think that whole thing with the comparing digital and film and everything she had already shown Jason Mann this mm. stuff so like when he decided to do it. She thought that was in, in treating you know treating on her you know her territory or whatever, and so that was bullshit. But everything else, you know, about it was like, what are you doing? And and so he finally gets it. She goes, I got your film for you, and he's just like, oh, okay, awesome. <laughs> like the, he he fought for this for so long and didn't even give her any. Like now, who knows? They could have like off camera. He sure. Been like, oh my god, I'm so indebted to you or whatever. <laughs> of course. Then you watch the movie he made, which, by the way, has a 3.9 on IMDb. Oh, wow. shit. Lovely. Um, that movie sucks. <laughs> what is it? It's called The Leisure Class. Huh. And uh, well, what, the beginning of it, like, so, like, what he won with was something that they couldn't shoot for some reason. I can't remember why. I don't remember what it was. But he had shot some short film that he said, oh, well, this would work perfectly for what we were doing or anyway. So we can do this one instead. Anyway, uh, I, I watched this whole Project Greenlight a couple of years ago, and I was like, okay, I'm kind of interested to see what this movie is going to be like, because everything I've seen so far, I'm like, how is this going to work? It doesn't. <laughs> uh, there you go. I watched it, and, and, uh, and, you're, and, and again, he shot this on film. Wow. Doesn't, doesn't look any different. <laughs> doesn't look any better. It looks bad, actually, but mm -hmm. it could be a, a, a variety of other reasons why it looks bad or looks just, you know, average or yeah. whatever. So, anyway, that was something that came out of that. I like that. Thing. Nice. Good one. Um, I'm going to stick with entertainment and uh, bring up the news of Netflix's rebooting Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Ooh. Oh, I saw that. Uh, who was the she Sabrina? She Ronan. Searsha Roman. No, it's Kieran and Shipka, right? No, Kieran and Shipka. Yeah. Well, God, now I sound like a. I guess that would make me sexist. <laughs> I get their names mixed up because they're both impossible to pronounce. Yeah, she's the girl she, from Mad Men. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's Sally Draper, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, from what I've read, they're at least going for a radically different tone. Um, I think I even saw the director compare it to more like the Blade films. What? Than hmm. Sabrina and Tone, something dark. That I remember thinking, or no, maybe it was Resident Evil. Something. Anyway, they're going to go darker and not do the bubbly <laughs> sitcom. Have the talking tape. cat stuff. Yeah. And all that. Well, I just don't. Just, you know, make a new witch. <laughs> That's true. I mean, they did this with MTV, did this with Teen Wolf. They yeah. made it into this goth, like, teen romance thing. When it was Boof and fucking Pamela but, and <laughs> ran for like styles six and, seasons yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so people obviously, and I think Netflix knows better about what they're doing than most companies do because mm -hmm. you know every time they announce something that to me sounds like a turd, um, you know, they announce another one the next week because obviously people are watching this shit. Yeah, um, and people are watching that Fuller House, including my wife. Is she really? <laughs> I walked in her little front room the other day. Uh, to see what she was watching, and it was Fuller House, and I just noped right the hell on it. <laughs> I walked up and gave her a kiss and said, nope, and walked out. Um, but you know, it's just nostalgia is creeping into this reboot, remake phase where they're almost actively banking on people our age having a fond remembrance for something from the 80s or 90s, and therefore getting ourselves 
and hopefully our teenage children into this new Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah, I assume that was the the same reason that Gilmore Girls was was rebooted and uh, mm-hmm. and things like that. So bringing back Riverdale, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Bringing right? back they brought back Will and Grace. Bringing back fucking everything. And I'm just like, I just saw a headline the other day that said Jenna Fisher's on potential office reunion. I haven't been approached. I'm like, that's not an article. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that article could have been titled nothing happened yeah. nothing is happening <laughs> right but because they're so prominent now now reporters are asking stars who were in stuff that was popular are you going to do a reunion are you going to do a reboot are you going to do a reunion because i guess people fucking want this shit yeah i don't know I mean, at least if you give it a darker take and you're not doing a sitcom well and more I, power to you you know and i guess the good actress the other thing about it too is that they get that that you know sort of that 10 episode run mm-hmm. where they can do just about anything they want to and they can sort of you know work at their own pace they don't even they don't need to get it out by a certain time period or anything yeah um i mean i've been hearing about arrested development's new season for about what two three years yeah. or something and like it's that. apparently still gonna happen and it's still happening but it's i'm sure that they're just like all right well when once the stars align we'll do it we're yeah. not gonna rush our way into it or anything but I agree. I don't reason. I don't know. I don't like the idea of like all these shows just being remade because, you know, um, I mean, this is far better than what Will and Grace and Fuller House and Mad About You is mm-hmm. going to do where they're just literally coming back after a 15 year hiatus or whatever. At least they're going to cast new people, make a new creation out of it. I mean, yeah, they had a lot of success with this kind of edgier stuff, like horror ish stuff like. Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it'll be great. Maybe a year from now I'll be talking about, you know, say her name again, Kirkin, Kirkin. K- Kieran and Shipka. Yeah. I'll be campaigning for her to win an Emmy. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just from a from a creative standpoint, the pl- where we're starting these meetings that get things green light, like we're starting at the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Starting at the wrong place makes me very sad. I don't really know what's left there to be said with Mad About You. Like, do we want to see Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt like 20 years later? With a 19-year-old daughter? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe if they take a darker tone. Yeah, <laughs> more like Blade. <laughs> more like Blade. <laughs> <laughs> How about some recommends? What do we uh, think? Totes amazeballs. They're great. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. Well, I, I've been uh, in this season, been picking up a lot of Netflix shows and everything like that. And the one that I saw this past week was "The End of the Fucking World." Oh, oh I saw the. That's the on Netflix. That. Yeah, it's on Netflix. It's a series or a movie. It's a series. Okay. It's eight episodes, and I could, uh, I, I could, uh, I'd wager you could get this done in three hours. Oh, or half hour shows? Yeah, they're okay. all half hour. Well, mm. then there's some of them that are like 20 minutes. Mm. Uh, I don't know if there's one that even gets past 22 minutes in this whole thing. Mm. Very, very short. It's almost like watching sort of like a web series or something like that. Um, the The story of it is that there's this kid who has these sort of psychopathic tendencies and everything, and he really wants to kill somebody. Um, and I... And, a lot like you know this this first episode may put you off because even though it's off screen he does kill an animal Mm. and uh and and he shows the they show like a sort of in a uh you know i don't know collage sort of way show all the dead animals that he that he's killed over the past whatever uh very dark and very dark comedy type stuff Mm. um so 
that may put you off in the first episode, but uh, the it happened in House of Cards, and people still watch that. Yeah, so. that's true. Uh, you don't see it on screen; it's nothing graphic or anything like that. But he 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 really wants to kill somebody. So uh, this this girl uh, shows up to him in the cafeteria, and if you saw those trailers or whatever, you saw her as like I saw you skateboarding the other day. You know, <laughs> she's like she's like it's kind of shit. You know <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and and uh and he i think he just says fuck off or something like that and then she, and but then they sort of they sort of they sort of like uh they're they're two oddballs who have found each other or whatever and so like uh, so so the events of it is, are, are that eventually they they take off they run away from home together mm. and they get in all these different like adventures and everything and he keeps on like I'm, she's going to be my first victim. She keeps on like, like, you know, thinking about it, like, how am I going to do it and all that. And, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons, he ends up never doing it, obviously, or else we wouldn't have much of a show. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I love these leads in here. Jessica Barden plays the girl and, um, this guy, Alex Lawther plays, uh, the guy in it and everything and just the way their characters interact with each other she's like really abrasive and like you know doesn't uh it'd be an interesting show for barrett i think to mm -hmm. watch because these these characters have all these tendencies but there's a heart to it and all that and i don't know if that's common in characters like these or, or people like these who have all these psychopathic sociopathic tendencies yeah. and everything um but like you know they they it's just the way they play off of each other is really fun and everything. And they're very convincing 17 year old kids, even though she's like 25 and uh, he's uh, like 22 or whatever. They, they play very convincing 17 year old kids. If you saw the lobster, she's the nosebleed girl. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but uh, it's just one of those things. It's very, very easy to just go and just run through these episodes. Very funny. Very, uh, very interesting you know characters and everything and i recommend it based on that that's wow. interesting did you mm. ever if you watch mindhunter yet have you watched I have, yet? I have no, but i have been strongly recommended by several people i trust yeah i mean it's got if it's the the conversion of the john douglas book from forever ago when they started the fbi the behavioral profiling unit like there's there's this these measures of psychopathy that they were trying to go through and i actually used to administer personality inventories that would rate psychopathic tendencies and things like that and what douglas came up with was this homicidal triad of like bedwetting uh killing animals and fire starting mm -hmm. and i don't know if that made it into the series but it's it just always was interesting to me because i i was rating this person on a scale of one to one to ten on how psychopathic he or she was oh, i always geez. thought that was weird mm -hmm. anyway yeah so yeah, there's a lot more and and that's one in like a series of you know, fifty things with the MMPI. Yeah. Anyway, there's also uh, for you Game of Thrones fan, Game of Thrones fans. There's uh, the it's Gemma Whelan or Gemma Whelan or however you know British people pronounce. It. <laughs> um, she plays Lara Greyjoy in Game of Thrones. She's in this series. Oh, well. cool. Ah. So, Got to check it out. Yeah. Lara Greyjoy. Now, if you excuse me, I'm going to go fuck the tits out of this one. Yeah. <laughs> one of the best lines ever. <laughs> um, so I'm going to echo previous podcasts with Chris and Aaron Dicer and recommend uh, you watch The Red Turtle. Oh. Mm -hmm. Which has recently been playing on fuck it, Star Showtime, one mm -hmm. of those fucking channels. I've, I've, at this point, it's not something... The way I talk about this movie is going to sound weird when I'm recommending it. I haven't watched it from start to finish once. 
It's one of those where I find it, I flip over to it, but I'm still like I'm writing sins or I'm surfing the internet. Mm. Um, and I haven't made it all the way from start to finish, but I think I've seen the entire thing. Um, and I just, I've never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. I realize there may be other stuff out there like this. And I'm talking about everything. The the look of the animation, the, the sound work, the music, the story. It's like nothing I've ever seen. It utterly mesmerizes huh. me. Yeah. Like almost, and even if The Matrix is on, and it's my favorite movie of all time, I'm going to turn back to the computer before I would if the Red Turtle was on. Hmm. Because it's just, it's dreamlike. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like nothing I'd ever seen. And if you'd have described it to me the way I'm describing it now, I probably wouldn't have, sound, probably wouldn't have sounded good to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, I watched it because Chris and Dicer said it was good, really good. And it is. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good movie, but it's just, it is, it's affected me in a way that movies rarely do. It's, a, it's more art than most movies huh. seem to me to be. Yeah, I don't know how to explain that. Is this Studio that. Ghibli? Yes. Oh, okay. uh, and it has some thematic similarities to Kubo and the two strings mm. and all that. Uh, I don't know which one is superior, but what Jeremy's talking about tends to give me the ed- gives the edge to that one, although yeah. both are excellent. You, w- you can't lose with either one of them. But, um, but uh, yeah, Red Turtle is just one of those movies that you start it, – it's, you know, it's delightfully weird yeah. for uh, so many – so much of it. But you just go along with it because it's just, it's just, you know, you know that you're in for it. Yeah, it's out there. Yeah, so it's short. No, mm-hmm. you're not committing to, you know, a whole afternoon. Oh. Anyway, that's my recommend for the week. I've got a couple that are available on Amazon Instant, actually, mm-hmm. instead of Netflix. The first one is just real quick. It was better than I had even expected. It's the Big Sick. Uh, oh yeah, Big Sick. On Johnny that uh, came out this year or last year. Um, it's much more, much less funny and much more emotional than I than I realized. Mm-hmm. That's what I've heard. Did he direct that? No, no, that was, it was uh, Michael Showalter. Michael Showalter. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and there's some there's some great shots in that, and then there's some things where that aren't all that great. But you should definitely check it out. When uh, Ray Romano and Holly Hunter show up, the movie just fucking takes off. Yeah. Uh, so and and that's basically the bulk of the movie. Anyway, that's it's something that you should check out. It's a much better version of While You Were Sleeping. <laughs> it is. That's how he marketed it. <laughs> well, that was peak Sandra Bullock. Though, yes, it was. It? That was like, we're yeah. going to put her in uh, every kind of romantic movie we can think of. <laughs> yep. Uh, but the other thing that I wanted to definitely recommend was The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Ah. Um, this got a lot of Golden Globes buzz. Uh, Rachel Brosnahan, who plays the, the main character, got the Golden Globe for series, whatever. Uh, she is freaking amazing in this mm. um it is it's a period piece it's it's back in the uh the salad days of like uh, greenwich village uh comedy scene and like weird jazz stuff i guess in the 50s 60s and uh man it is spectacular the pacing this is amy Sher- sherman paladino that mm-hmm. did gilmore girls um she's got a good track record she's got well she's also got a very distinctive style in dialogue where somebody stops speaking and then the next person starts speaking even if they're in the background it's like Mm -hmm. it's very play like like that um and sometimes that puts me off especially in gilmore girls but in this one it's super charming tony shalhoub is in it he's awesome love me shim shalhoub he man Mm -hmm. and alex borstein who's the the manager of the comedy club uh down in, in the village is amazing She's great in this, mm-hmm. um, so it's definitely worth checking out. It's a movie. It's a series, and the the first Seems like there's a lot of series about comedy now, like a stand up comedy. 
It's like yeah. three or four running right well, now. Well, the big sick was so it was about stand up oh, too. Yeah, yeah. And you, you have that, that, and you have uh, the one on HBO. Um, the one with Pete Holmes. Pete Holmes is in it. I saw the whole series, the whole like <laughs> season, the first season. I was gonna say they've been running commercials for the second season now. Um, yeah, no, I'm gonna it's not called anything that you would. It's admit, like you one think. word. Uh, stand up. Yeah, crashing. Crashing, yeah. Mm. The reason that I bring this up, I had no clue what it was about. I knew that it got a lot of buzz and that people were really digging it, but it is about this this woman who does everything for her family. Like she takes care of her husband, like props him up. He wants to be a stand up comedian, so she's really like supporting him and trying to get him into clubs and stuff like that. And then in the pilot, he ends up leaving her, and it is determined that she actually has the stand up talent, ah. and she is hilarious mm. and. Yeah, there's there's shenanigans ensue, but it's really really good. What is this called again? The marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Oh. Anytime you go to Amazon, it's plastered in like a screen wrap. I got another recommend. Mm-hmm. My wife and I sat down the other night and watched uh, the Judd Apatow Netflix stand up special. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm guessing that's probably the show you saw him do live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I know he did some stand up like way back early in his career. But for a guy that's not known for stand-up and it's just known as a director, I was kind of impressed. Yeah. Huh. Uh, first of all, it, there were lots of laugh-out-loud moments. You could, I guess you could tell there's less polish there than when somebody like Seinfeld is up there doing it, just because he hasn't done this in a mm. really long time. But mm-hmm. he clearly, the writing was on point, his delivery was good, and we, la- we both laughed a bunch. Uh, huh. And, you know, I, one of the reasons I love those comedy specials is that, first of all, you're almost guaranteed to laugh at something with stand-up mm-hmm. comedy, and then they're only like an hour. Get oh in, yeah, get yeah, on, get yeah, on yeah. With your life. That mm. was an interesting show because Pete Holmes opened for. Oh Judd wow, Apatow. I didn't know. Oh, really, and uh, and he slayed. Oh, so <laughs> funny! Like I don't think I had ever seen Pete Holmes, or if I had, I didn't see his best stuff or anything. But seeing him live, he was hilarious. And then Judd Apatow comes out, and he's like, <laughs> "Well, you know, I'm not as good as this guy." <laughs> <laughs> you know, basically. Let's get this out up front, right? Okay, what are some warns? Robinson. Run away! Run away! Run away! I, I, I don't have any, and I'm not going to bother even trying. <laughs> Last week I did Saturday Night Live. That's, you know, it's very limited to, you know, people here in the U.S., I guess, but, and very limited even with people in the U.S. So uh-huh. I don't have very much. I, I am currently watching a movie that could end up being a warning, <laughs> but I'm not going to bring that up yet. All right. Uh, Kong Skull Island. Oh, ah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, <clears throat> I had not seen this movie when we made the Sins video. Right. This was one that you guys put together. That's right. Um, <laughs> you got to take all the heat for it. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't going to bring that up. <laughs> I'm not too worried about that guy these days. Well, you know, when we wrote that script, we were like, how can we inflame the director yes. as much as we can? Yeah. Um, so I... You know, ever since I saw that it had come on HBO, I've kind of just been looking forward to watching it just because I remember one of you guys saw it in theaters, I think. We both did. We yeah, saw yeah. it. We saw it on the Thursday night. That, and you guys right. were way less than enthused. So, yeah, like, I, I reviewed it on Dicer Show. Okay. Or did you? I think I did. You did. Yes, because yeah. I, I was the only one that hated right, it. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and then, uh, and you know, I mean, at first I thought maybe it's because 
we saw this late at night. I was kind of tired. Mm. You know, I, I just remember being exhausted watching it. But it was like one of those movies just kept going. Yeah. It felt like it kept going and everything. I was like, okay, well, maybe maybe the next time around it won't seem like that. And it just get, it got worse the second time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. And so uh, because of that, uh, that initial feedback from you guys, and then, of course, I, I saw the script for the Sins video because I, I at least narrate them all even <laughs> when I don't watch the movie. Um, and then, of course, you know, the the quote-unquote fallout from that video all of that has made this viewing experience something i was almost salivating for like <laughs> and you're you know if you hate me you're probably going to assume that meant i went in ready to hate <laughs> and just judged it from moment one but movie movie judges itself pretty hard in the first seven minutes by giving me like i don't know five different slow motion helicopter rotor shots yeah like it's, it's almost like somebody got a, a bunch of new toys and was just kind of playing in a movie sandbox. <laughs> I'm going to throw together this. I'm going to throw together this. I'm going to do this. There's a couple of good money shots of Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, John C. Riley is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the kind of movie that when you get done, you're like, how the fuck did they get all those actors? Samuel L. Jackson, Tom Hiddleston, Brie Larson. Um, it's just like, what did you tell them? To get them on board. It's not in the script. Like when Samuel L. Jackson is like speechifying as the helicopters are flying through the storm and everybody's about to die and he's like talking about what warriors do or yeah. whatever, quoting some famous, the Patton maybe or yeah. something. <laughs> just like this was on this was on the page. It's yeah. not like he's ad libbing this shit. You somebody read this and said, "Yes, we need to make this movie." Well, Brie Larson comes off of like an, one at least one amazing performance mm-hmm. to do. I know they probably paid her well. But this is the worst stock female character. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of them lately. It's like Linda Cardellini in Daddy's Home. Yeah. You wonder how the actress didn't see the problem with her character. And again, you know, maybe they backed up a truck and I don't know. I think she had already. No, maybe she hadn't already been announced for Captain Marvel at that point. Maybe no, that I don't think so. came after. But still, you know, you just you just got all this awards buzz. What was, I, the, what was the one she was in? Room? Yeah, Room. Room. Yeah. Um, and then you're right. It's just a it's a cardboard cutout of a character. And mm-hmm. the problem is that most of those that's why Samuel Jackson's yelling all, all that bullshit. John Goodman. Mm-hmm. I just feel almost feel bad for some of these people that like they got tricked. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it just didn't work. for People liked it. Yeah. It's just I, I don't get it. It's not it's not for us. Yeah. And, and believe we're not trying to pile on. We'd be saying this, you know, regardless of what yeah, happened um, over the summer and everything with this video. Um, it's just that it's, you know, it's just one of those movies. It just didn't connect to us. It's got a 6.7 on IMDb, which I wouldn't say is stellar. No, I mean, it's, it's average. I'd rather watch Peter Jackson's King Kong than this. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't love Peter Jackson. I King, would too. I don't even yeah. come close to loving it. Yeah. Right. Uh, all three and a half million hours of it. Um, but there's more to enjoy there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm sorry. No, no, That's you're my, absolutely right. It's not really a warning because I bet some of you would like it if you watched it. It's more of a, a anti-recommend. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. Yes. I'm a 6.7 on the Richter scale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my war- Okay, my warn is kind of an obvious target, but it has a higher rating than I realized. And obviously it got a sequel. So family sits down. We're like, what are we going to watch for family movie night? And I always get outvoted. Oh, but typically, I just remembered what yours is. Typically, we can get like a Kubo or we can get something out of there that's worth watching. So I, the kid picked Paul Blart Mall Cop. Oh. All right. Now. 
you are raising that kid wrong. Here is the, uh, I mean, I'm joking. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's a kid. That actually, he probably loved it, right? He loved it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing: there are little niblets in here of a really funny movie. Kevin James, I think we've mentioned on the podcast, is talented. I love. He him. is funny to me, mm-hmm. but the movie is so goddamn stupid. Mm-hmm. Like it's basically him doing the comedic version of Observe and Report, yeah. or they were doing, you know, the other version of it. Um, they had to a shut down cop. during filming because of the fire on the set of Pop <laughs> Right, mall, mall exactly. Cop. That's correct. In the Foot Locker. That's, that's a true fact. <laughs> filmed at the same mall at the same time. Man, I remember growing up and watching shit like Kindergarten Cop or mm-hmm. Stop or My Mom Will Shoot or shit like that, that even at the time I realized, man, besides like some, a couple of like funny scenes, this is pretty awful. Mm-hmm. It, Paul Blart, man, you could have made something out of this, but like the villain is just a goddamn stupid. Everybody around Kevin James is like just there to set up the next gag, the next like, you know, physical humor of which is is pretty funny. The only thing that movie has going for it is the way he looks when he's taking hard corners on that segue. Yeah. <laughs> like his serious segue game is up there. Yeah. And again, I think that I love Kevin James. I just think he keeps making poor decisions, at least for me. And yeah. he's making good decisions for him because his career has continued. Now he's back on TV with another show. Mm-hmm. Killed off his wife, brought back Leah Remini. Yeah. It's the weirdest fucking <laughs> Jumped thing ahead ever. in time. Yeah. I'm sure he's happy. He's living the life. But you know, It'll be interesting to see what the new generation considers classic, uh, you know, 10 years from now or whatever. Because I, I have this issue sometimes with my nephew, who is 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... And like we watched that Dumb and Dumber two together oh. way back in you know what three years ago I guess, mm-hmm. uh, and this movie is nowhere near as funny as the first one. Even if in you know I know Jeremy over there doesn't even like the first one. <laughs> uh, it's worse. It's way worse if you don't if you even if you don't if you don't like Dumb and Dumber, but. Uh, I remember coming out of the theater, and he's like, I think that one was better than the first one. And I was like, oh, my God. It really isn't, but, you know. Yeah, my friend Jason, he's got a teenage son. We were talking about the Matrix movies, and he likes the second two a lot and hates the first one. Mm. I could see people doing that, especially kids. At the time, I said, you're the only person on planet Earth that feels that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I've yeah. since learned that may not be the case. Not to make you feel alone and and uh, you know, alone in this world, but you are alone and alone yeah. in this world. <laughs> well, have you seen Paul? Paul Blart 2. No. Well, I'm sure that's next spared yourself great misery. <laughs> because he goes to like a mall security guard convention. Oh, nice. And everyone's mm. heard the stories mm. about Blart from the first movie. Have you seen this? I have seen the second Oh, my God. I don't remember the circumstances. <laughs> and I'm going to go ahead and claim... It wasn't my fault. I really I don't, don't remember the circumstances. This is not a horrible bosses two situation, right? No, it's not. It's not. I saw I saw the second Paul Blart first, and it was it was funny to me. Man. It was delightful. I didn't see any of that funny scooter riding in the first one. Uh, no, I'm, it's, it's it's even worse. It's everything that you hated about the first one times a million. Man, I mean, you could make this movie smart. Just get there one is... writer in there that knows what he or she is doing, and just Tina make it. Mm, yeah, just make it thirty mm. percent smarter. And you would have an actual watchable movie. Yeah, the mm-hmm. concept is actually pretty solid. That's why there were two movies mm-hmm. made like this around the same time. Uh, because, you know, you take a mall security gob. Mall security gob? <laughs> yes. Mall security gob. guard who takes his job too seriously. Mm-hmm. And you can go dark and hard or you can go goofy. And either way, could work. But yeah. neither one of those movies are really good. I observe and reports better, but I still don't really enjoy it. Because mm. he's... 
yeah, he it, goes beyond anti-hero. There's, yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's, there's hard, a line. Hard, to, hard, to, hard to root for him completely yeah. in that. Do we want to do this? Fantasy casting? Sure. Is this just fantasy? No stars. No stars. I want Bruce Willis. Not Bruce Willis. No Schwarzenegger. Julia Robbins. This is bad. Bad for movie stars everywhere. Man, I'm excited about this one. Do you guys like this one? Yeah. I like this one a lot. Yeah, I like doing the fantasy casting. I don't know if... I mean, it seems like it's uh, most people seem to respond favorably to it and everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know how popular a segment it is. <laughs> we'll find uh, out. But uh, we... I was saying I like this movie that we're doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm staring at it right now. I'm staring at the poster. Yes, right we now. do have the poster up of this now. Um, so American Beauty. Um, you know, one thing that I ran into recasting this movie is that the actors in it are so unique to mm-hmm. the the original uh, movie are so unique that it's almost impossible to find people who would be adequate replacements for mm. them i kept thinking you know like kevin spacey's just a certain way yep. in his movies and he and that's sort of how he built his career is having this hilarious anger basically it was like that's basically how he did it and you don't i don't know very many other actors that can really do that but all in all, I ended up on John Hamm on this one oh. for Lester Burnham, uh, and I feel like I feel like John Hamm is underutilized in this day and age. I yep. think that I, I don't think he was typecast with Mad Men. I think he. I mean, I think people do say, "Oh, there's Don Draper or whatever," but if you've seen him in the town yeah. or mm-hmm. Bridesmaids or anything like that, or SNL, you, yeah, or SNL, you know he's he's got. <laughs> something john ham's john ham yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so yeah i'm i i think i think he could pull this character off yeah um and because he's got that sort of balance of humor i don't know if we've ever seen him in that in a sort of a rage where like you know we're in american beauty where he throws the plate and yeah. smashes a couple it madman episodes yeah maybe that's so. what the money is for <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i could see that don draper throwing a plate against the wall yeah yeah, yeah. so and then carolyn burnham annette benning is just such a unique actor yeah yeah like i don't know very many who can pull off that sort of uh, I, I really don't know what to how to describe it. Um, it's almost like she's got some sort of traits that men typically have yeah. in their in their roles. She's got sort of an anger and a confidence that you don't see in very many like women roles and everything. But uh, ended up on Parker Posey for this. Oh, oh yeah, man, she's well, got range for yeah. sure. Yeah, and and we and Parker Posey's another person that I feel like doesn't get used enough these days um they'd make a nice couple yeah proposing yeah yeah Yeah, probably around the same age too right um yeah i think they are uh so yeah that would be i I think parker posey could pull off all the stuff that annie benning does in that movie so i thought that was a good one good call um probably due to the fact that i just saw this it's uh the end of the fucking world or whatever I'm going to put the Jessica Barden uh, actress in the Jane uh, in the as a Jane in this. Um, there were a couple others I thought I, I thought about that maybe, but you kind of have somebody who's got sort of uh, that that Thora Birch type of thing where you don't consider her like super hot or anything like that. Mm. 
and I, I know that sounds superficial, but I think that character needs to be somebody who's a little like not confident and it can't be somebody beautiful. I don't well, think. That, yeah, that's the basis of the character. Yeah. I, mean, she'll, she'll, I think she comes out and says that yeah. at some point. Right. And, but you know, you get to know somebody like that character and there you, you appreciate her for way more than just physical attributes or anything like that. And this Jessica Barden girl has that sort of look too. She's not like, you know, any of this drop dead gorgeous or anything like that. And even in that, it's the, the end of the fucking world uh, show. There's a point where one of the, this dude's trying to describe what she looks like. And he's like, he, you know, she's, I mean, she wasn't hot or anything, but you know, I mean, she was, she's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to tell it to these two detectives and everything. It's really funny. Um, that Thora Birch character really, has the least to work with in, mm-hmm. in the movie. Yeah. Because I don't know what she went on to do. I don't really remember her in, in much else. But, I mean, she, especially with these titans that she's working around, her and Wes Bentley both, you know, some glimpses from Wes Bentley, but, like, they're pretty much blank slates mm-hmm. throughout the movie. You yeah. Know? I don't, I, I, yeah, I don't, there wasn't very much that I know that she did afterwards that we could, like, oh, yeah, that was a really good role. I know that she turned down election or she got fired from election uh for the reese witherspoon role because she didn't get where it was going yeah yeah, yeah. something like that but um but that was even that was in 1999 as well so like everything after that really i don't know didn't really she probably been in a ton of stuff after that but not stuff that we really know um for ricky fitz i have ansel elgort who's in yeah baby driver yeah. i think he could really play that play that role very well um, i love him in that movie yeah, yeah. I, I think i like that movie the more like distance i liked that I get it from it i liked it better the second time yeah the first time uh i still have a problem with the entire like last 20 minutes yep of it. and there's another john ham movie by the way yep another kevin spacey movie i saw a post on reddit the other day of a guy who lives in atlanta and went out on new year's day and took photos of like hundreds of uh filming locations used in movies so they shoot a lot of the marvel movies down there so like i guess the avengers complex is actually a porsche complex yeah. and they digitally add the a and all that stuff but anyway i guess baby baby driver was shot in atlanta i didn't know mm-hmm. that and mm-hmm. there's, he's got like 30 or 40 set locations real life versus the movie because he's side by sides and i'll try and find that link and send it to yeah you. and and when you watch the movie you can't believe that it was shot in atlanta either because there's no traffic anywhere yeah <laughs> <laughs> well when you shoot a movie they get to shut down the road that's uh, true yeah. that's so true uh for angela the mina suvari character i have laura harrier who was in spider-man homecoming Oh, she used the love interest in that. Oh, <laughs> Michael Keaton's daughter. Michael Keaton's daughter. I don't think I've seen her in anything except that. Oh, yeah, I haven't either. And she's 27. I Jesus. didn't know she was that old. She is goddamn can, gorgeous. Yeah, she is. Um, she could easily play though. The you know she can still play high school. Obviously, but can she cheerlead? <laughs> that's a really tough question thora birch and mina savari's cheerleading in that <laughs> original is like on mass well i was looking very closely and they didn't screw up once <laughs> <laughs> what's funny to me is the point i'm making the joke i'm making is that they both look kind of very robotic yeah oh yeah definitely they're not <laughs> yeah. like dancers yeah um for Colonel Fitz, I have Matthew McConaughey. I love oh, that. The, oh, Jesus. Sweet Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are times when we do these where I I cast somebody and I'm just like, we, I mean, we send this shit to each other ahead of time. I don't always look at everybody's answers. I almost never look at yours because they come in after mine. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I look at yours so I don't double yours. Mm-hmm. But 
I'm like, oh, I'm mind blown with this casting. And now I'll come sitting here and you'll do something like that. <laughs> if, I mean, that's fucking perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and here's the thing. I thought about this after 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 putting him down. I was like, there could be some sort of subconscious thing here because They're they were in Lone Star. Lone Star. He and Chris Cooper are playing the same character. Matthew McConaughey is playing the younger version, and Chris Cooper is playing the elder. So it it, it there might have been a subconscious type of thing going on. Of course, they were also in a Time to Kill together too. Oh, yeah. But uh, but Lone Star was the thing I think I may have subconsciously thought about. But I was sitting there thinking, who could believably be this hard ass, like, you know, I, I don't know if he has to be like a Texan or, you know, somebody like, you know, has that that Chris Cooper draw and or anything. But uh, of all the people that could play that character, who's ashamed of who he is and, yeah. and is a hard ass colonel and all this other type of stuff, I feel like Matthew McConaughey could play that terrifyingly yeah uh and you just want think about him with a buzz cut and like you know sitting there watching stupid ass like you know uh, military recruitment yeah. videos <laughs> i mean if you've seen frailty or killer joe mm-hmm. or i mean he's he's demonstrated the kind of menace yeah that this character because i mean one of the best things about chris cooper's performance and i guess maybe the the script is is kind of the slow reveal mm-hmm. of exactly how bad it is because uh, you you get sort of the shell shock ptsd mother but in the beginning you just kind of think maybe he's a little strict yeah a little bigoted and then you'd find out later on oh he's actually he beats him yeah that's mm-hmm. terrible yeah um <clears throat> anyway that is perfect god yeah. damn you um, i almost don't even want to read my fucking <laughs> list now <laughs> What's interesting, really, is looking at the ages of a lot of these actors when they were in American Beauty and realizing I'm their fucking age. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> Kevin Spacey was 40 when he did American Beauty. Annette Benning was 41. Uh, Allison Janney was 40. Can wow. you believe that? Because really? they really aged her down, uh, aged her up in this movie. Yeah, yeah they yeah. sure did. Um, and uh, but for Barbara Fitz, which is the Allison Janney character, I have Lena Headey playing. Oh, oh nice. Yeah, yeah. This one. Uh, uh, I think that would give her a little bit more range too. I think she is in danger of getting typecast as you know this game of yeah as bitch yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Now I, I you know I think basically on the strength of that three hundred performance, that's where she ended up being in Game of Thrones and everything because it just seemed like I don't know maybe I mean it just seemed like there was a natural connection from three hundred to go to that. And everything but yeah we're getting it's getting to the point now where she's got that ice cold yeah you know look and everything this one would play completely different and i yeah. think she's got the ability to do it shame and, <laughs> shame <laughs> yeah, yeah. shame yeah. <laughs> um and for uh for buddy the real estate king i have morris chestnut nice. <laughs> I, I saw him in that uh girl's trip and i was like man i haven't, heard, I haven't seen morris chestnut in forever and it needs to be somebody like that because that's how you felt when peter gallagher comes out yeah all. exactly <laughs> seen that guy forever right. fuck me your majesty yeah. <laughs> so yeah there you go i enjoyed i enjoyed doing that one that was good yeah 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 <laughs> do it mr m <laughs> <laughs> fill me uh, up fill me up mr m uh all right here we go this is uh i i hope people enjoy listening to these we'll just go ahead and put a request in, in the middle of the podcast let us know how you feel about these recasting. I feel like most of the comments I see are positive. I don't think I've seen anybody like, mm-hmm. fucking stop with the recasting. Yeah. Um, 
But I love them. I've already got ideas for other movies we should do. So Lester Burnham, Kevin Spacey. Mm-hmm. Barrett has the perfect choice. I can't choose him. Um, but I chose Matthew Perry. Yeah. Now, see, ever since I saw that, I can picture almost every scene with Matthew Perry in it, like killing it. Well, and that's the thing is that he's had a couple of chances to be dramatic. Um, not really on Friends. He, Studio 60 gave him a few scenes oh, to yeah, do yeah, more yeah. than uh-huh. just straight comedy. Um, I think he's got the chops mm-hmm. there to play both, you know, the anger when it's needed, but, you know, the, like I, I keep picturing the scene when she comes home and he's bought the sports car and he's like, I rule. Yeah, like, I, I, I can see Chandler, an aged Chandler being that guy. Uh, and I'm going to stick with the Friends theme, obviously, the only thing I talk about anymore. Uh, so his wife, Annette Benning, is going to be played by Jennifer Aniston. Ooh. Uh, that's, that's a hilarious, yeah, that's a hilarious <laughs> mashup. Two of the only six Friends characters that never hooked up. Um, <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Again, right age. Uh, again, I think she she could play this really well. What's interesting is, did you ever see, uh, what's the movie she's in with Kevin Bacon? It's like one of her first movies. Oh, Pit, um, not Pitch Perfect. It perfect. was, um, it was um, see, I the could come up with this. Perfect guy it Sim- was it was something perfect something simply perfect per- anyway like you can tell how much she's grown as an actress because at that point she was probably only three seasons picture perfect friends. picture perfect yes. that's it uh and you know she's just kind of basically playing rachel in this movie yeah. uh, but you know she's been in um that movie with the book god damn it and the gyllenhaal <laughs> <laughs> the good girl yes <laughs> is the movie with the book there's a book Trust me. All right. So I think she's got the right kind of range. For Ricky, the weird-ass kid next door that films dead animals in bags, I'm going with Asa or Asa Butterfield. Nice. What is um, what has he done uh, recently? He did that kid who grew up on Mars. Wasn't that him? Well, he was in Ender's Game. That's his Ender's Game uh, is the big no, I mean, like after... Well, I guess that was only two years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I don't it know if it was like two years ago. It was, ago. Yeah, it was more, a little longer than that. But yeah, there was that uh, kid on Mars movie that you're talking about. That yeah. Was, that was earlier last year, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think so. Like February or something. Mm-hmm. But it, just in Ender's Game, I think he displays what what's that kind of cold, yeah. weird outcast that, that I think the West Bentley character needs. Uh, Thora Birch, the daughter of Lester Burnham. I'm going to go with Haley Steinfeld. Yeah. Nice. Who may be a little too pretty for the role. Mm-hmm. And it's terrible that I think things like this because you're right. I think one of the things about that, one of the only things about that character that makes her stand out, stand out is that she's not as hot as her friend. Right. But in Edge of 17, she played a more That's what I'm homely saying. I was character. Say, Edge of 17 kind of frumped her up a little bit. Mm-hmm. She's still gorgeous, obviously, but... Uh, but it also shows a ton of range, mm-hmm. uh, so I think she'd be great. In uh, her friend's role, we're going to go back to Mad Men and Kierman Shipka. Oh, yeah. Did I say it right? I don't know if you did. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just pretend I did. Yeah. For um, Angela, the Mina Savari character? Yeah. Okay, nice. Uh, because there's always... So- this is a stupid reason to cast somebody, by the way, but there's always been something unique about Mina Savari's look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Almost yeah. like she looks more like... A magazine cover girl than a human. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? No, yeah. Like, almost like she's fictional, but she's not. I think this girl from Mad Men has the same kind of unique look, like the bone structure and her eyes. She's got a very unique look. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for that reason, and probably because she was fresh on my mind from the earlier podcast stuff, Mm, I casted her. I'm not done. I'm not done. (laughs) We got to go next door. 
<laughs> we gotta go next door and get the Chris, Chris Cooper Nazi memorabilia yeah, loving guy. That's right, Timothy Oliphant. Oh yeah, ah, I can see Timothy Oliphant doing this because of Go. Yeah, and well, I mean, a lot of things. He's played the bad guy in a lot of things. The has. Girl Next Door yep. is one. Um, live free uh, or die hard. Yeah, live free or die hard. Yeah, he's he's a good bad guy. All right, and his wife is going to be played by Linda Cardellini because she's already shown that she can be a vacuous <laughs> wife who does nothing to stand up to her husband in I like, daddy's home. I like how this is a cynical casting. <laughs> this is your punishment for doing daddy's home. I'm putting you in this role. Um, all right, for Buddy, the uh-huh. re- re- real estate king, David Schwimmer. That's where I go back to friends. Oh. So when Jennifer Aniston cheats on her husband, she'll be cheating. It'd be oh, Rachel and Ross. Rachel Ross. Wow. So she could say, fuck me, the this, king, king This Ross. American Beauty would have, would be way more, I think, satirical and parody-like I than think anything. I think it would. But that's, you know, we can change the tone. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I'm not done. I got a couple more just for fun. The, the, the two gay neighbors, I'm going to put Zac Efron and Dave Franco in there. Perfect. Yeah. Just yes. for fun. Absolutely yes. perfect. And then I went ahead and cast the fast food girl that ends up being Lester's boss at the fast food chain and i put cat dennings in there. yeah oh yeah nice, nice. She, I you think she would have the right so amount. busted <laughs> oh my god something tells me you're going to remember me this time <laughs> well the lester burnham that i imagined it took me a while to get there because you're right kevin spacey has a singular performance in there mm-hmm. uh but i could and i kind of kept coming back to the i rule moment and i came up with paul rudd Mm, mm. Uh, right i, I mean wouldn't. as soon as i read that i was like oh, no nobody's gonna come close that's as good as mcconaughey playing <laughs> the other role that's just i i can see it i can almost see it yeah you can see him when they come out of the gym and everything where he's like hi angela hi angela hi angela <laughs> you can see paul rudd doing that kind yeah. of this lovesick like weird obsessed weed loving workout i want to look good naked type of dude mm-hmm. um he's got more range i guess then, then he gets credit for he's smarmy and and sarcastic and stuff like that. Most of the stuff he was also in a terrible Jennifer Aniston movie called The Object of My Affection. Ooh, wow! <laughs> I had a pun off one night with a fellow manager while we were building that movie, and uh, I won when I called him a reject of booth projection. <laughs> not, it's not really a pun off; it was a rhyme off. Object of My Affection. I think we went through five or six different ones where we came up with stuff that that rhymed, but I called him a reject of film projection. <laughs> End battle. I don't know if Fatality. we. Yeah, I don't know if we get that kind of Paul Rudd anymore, though. Like mm. the the, like even in the Clueless days, could you can you imagine? You know, the actor we saw in Clueless was going to be this guy that no. we that we later saw, and mm. you know, forty year old virgin and all that. Um, yeah, he's just more of a kind of a doe eyed, handsome everyman mm-hmm. for the first part of his. I career. never really got his character in Clueless until later on because he's the stepbrother, first of all, right. And then, like, he's in college, but he's, like, a clerk for his dad, mm-hmm. too. Like, it seems like a lot of responsibility well, for, like, a freshman. Yeah, but, of course, uh, you know, you can also read into a lot of other stuff, too. Like, he likes being that because he gets to come over and, right. you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. see Alicia Silverstone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, but anyway, I think he would, he's got, he's got this role. He's, yeah, he's, no, that's he would perfect. Be good. Uh, that's perfect. Um, for Carolyn Burnham, his wife, Annette Benning's character, I'm going with Eva Longoria. Mm. Oh. Bring her back because I, th- I, 
I watched a lot of Desperate Housewives when when it was on, okay. and I loved it up until a point, like season two or three or something like that. But she has a lot of range, man. Like she can play over dramatic, which Annette Bening definitely did. Yeah, she no, can play freak out, and she can play very confident too. And I think you know, she's right around the right age. And I would think like an Eva Longoria Paul Rudd uh, combination would be very you know why believable. she needs to be brought back because she made that over her dead body movie. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> That's the only reason she ever went away. It's Whoa. that, and then she did the uh, Sentinel too, right, with Kiefer Sutherland. I never saw that Whoa. shit. <laughs> they, she got caught up in that uh, that tabloid drain, and I think that's what what hurt her. Oh, the she most. had a famous husband, and they broke up. Right? Yeah, it was uh, what's his name from the Spurs? Um, was it Rick Fox or was no, it, it was the French Ginobili? guy? The fr- the fr- <laughs> oh, Tony Parker. Tony yeah, Parker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, funny to me that Tony Parker is the French guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is the French guy. He is the French guy. C'est français. Yeah. Um, but like, cause, cause when they got married, all that you could ever hear about was their sex life. Now, part of it was because she did that right. a lot, yeah. but still, like, it, it, she became sort of a, a caricature <laughs> and everything, and you kind of forget that she could be good and yeah. everything. So, yeah, you know. All right, for uh, for Ricky, uh, the West Bentley character, I'm going with Lucas Hedges. Oh, yeah. So this is the kid that was in uh, Lucas Manchester would be amazing. by the Sea. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, he was in Manchester by the Sea and Lady Bird. That's the only two times that I've seen this guy, but he is amazing in mm-hmm. both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, he could definitely play a drug dealer. Uh, he's right at the right age, um, and he's got he's got nuance, man. Like in Manchester by the Sea, he's kind of like the victim essentially but then there's there's like a harder edge to him uh where especially where like he kind of blows back against casey affleck so i think he could totally pull this off yeah. and i think his interactions with paul rudd i think would be more believable i never really quite got behind the west bentley kevin spacey interactions particularly later on mm-hmm. um with the misunderstanding and that bullshit yeah anyway uh for jane the thor birch character shorsha ronan Okay. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, so make it a ladybird reunion uh but nice. i think i think she could totally do it you could see in ladybird that she played this perfect high school coming of age uh character and she would fit right back into this mm-hmm. yeah so, no that's a good call mm-hmm. and she is very attractive but again you know she she has a, a an interesting look about her uh and her friend uh angela is going to be emma watson ah. angela Wow, Emma Watson. Emma Watson playing, playing very a, much against type. Yeah, playing a bitchy character. <laughs> yes. Isn't she 30? No, she's like 27. But okay. she could totally still pass for a high school. I think he, I think she could, yes. Um, but yeah, and I, I think uh, she's such a good actress. And mm-hmm. Nina Savari, God bless her, was not excellent in that movie. Well, we didn't know it at the time, right? Because we <laughs> thought it was just a character tree. Exactly. And then we saw American Pie, and we were like, Oh no, that's just her. <laughs> I get it. Because you know the character spun. ends up being not at all what she's pretended or the reputation she's put forth. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like it. I think it should be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, buddy, the uh, the real estate king, baby Andy Garcia. Oh, Whoa. now he may Ooh, be a you, little. You just are you going to trim all the one scene so that he <laughs> <laughs> just like passengers? It's going to go to one frame of him fucking right. Evil Longoria, <laughs> That's and then he's gone. Right, <laughs> they don't even see his face. Right, it was like it was little known fact, but in the American Beauty remake, that was Andy Garcia fucking Eva Longoria. <laughs> Here's another warn that I just was reminded of. Did you ever see the movie with him and Andy McDowell where he's trying to sell scalp tickets to the Pope? No, don't. Okay. Well, that's very descriptive. 
Uh, do I need to tell you anymore? <laughs> the Pope is coming to the U.S. for the when first time in ages. Out? It's a hot ticket. Oh, God, I would say late 90s, mid 90s. <laughs> oh, it's, it's I think I remember the title. The Ticket Out or the Right Ticket or oh, Last Chance Kitchen. <laughs> Last Train t- to Busan. <laughs> it's like a t- something ticket. And it's like a romantic comedy. Just the ticket. Just, Just the, the ticket. ticket. Wow. Avoid like the plague. All right. All right. Good to know. Sorry. Go on. All right. So cast. that's the real estate king. He and uh, and uh, Evelyn Goria are getting getting busy. I like the hand gesture. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Colonel Fitz, uh, the Chris Cooper character, is going to be Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Ooh. We have a true detective connection here. <laughs> can, he, uh, <laughs> exactly right. can he shave his head with a knife? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, that's what he's going to be doing like while he's watching these recruitment videos, shaving his head with a knife. Yes. But I know, I mean, you saw in War for the Planet of the Apes, he can be super yeah. menacing. Natural born killers, he can be super mm-hmm. menacing. So I think he could absolutely fucking White men can't this. jump. He's super <laughs> menacing. That's right. That. Absolutely. That's another person that's a better actor than I think he gets credit for because no, he's, he's got all kinds of rings. All you have to do is watch that first season of True Detective to see that there's more talent there than he usually displays. Yeah, man. I mean, he's 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 good. He's, but he's like Willie Nelson, man. He likes he likes him some weed. So. He sure does. I mean, so does Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. Just, oh. Yeah. They're not going to be smoking up on set, though, because that's two different recastings. That's right. They're not in the same recasting. <laughs> well, I mean, there is plenty of weed on the set, They would find though. a way, though. I mean, Woody Harrelson could just visit him. Do you also. ever find, oh, that guy and that guy were in this movie. Like, we were talking about Chris Cooper and Matthew McConaughey were both in um, two movies together. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I'll stumble onto the beginning of that and think I found some new magic, like, answer to the universe <laughs> you know, like woody harrelson and wesley snipes have been in at least three movies together mm-hmm. i think maybe four money train was one and uh, uh white men can't jump and then um fuck yeah i think there was at least another one i can't remember anyway so i was watching cold mountain yesterday because uh-huh. it happened to be the best thing on it's not a bad movie uh and i realized oh uh, philip seymour hoffman and jude law were both in talent and mr ripley together uh-huh. mm-hmm. and i went to imdb and like 10 minutes later i was like okay that's all they ever did together yeah. <laughs> but i thought for a second i was like are they good friends maybe they're good friends no maybe they it like seems like together. they've done stuff together yeah I don't it know feels why. like the kind of combination that there was going to be more out there when i went <laughs> that is something that i like to do i do like to like come up with those oh yeah okay they were in the same movie or whatever um but if you go to the imdb which they have i don't know why when did they turn into when did their trivia and everything turn so trashy i don't know man but like it, it used sucks. to be used to be good trivia mm-hmm. like stuff that was interesting to know about the movie and everything but uh like there's some now that go on there and they'll say these two actors appeared in this movie together even though they have no scenes in this one yeah. <laughs> and you're like <laughs> That doesn't really that doesn't mean anything that yeah. they were in the same movie but didn't have any scenes together. That section is like Wikipedia right now. It, it's like a le- less policed Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. It's so pretty, it's, 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 yeah, yeah. So the last one is the uh, the Alice and Janney character, the uh, the shell shocked wife, the PTSD wife. Um, I said it too, so we're both in the okay, same boat. Good. Uh, Barbara Fitz, it's going to be Elizabeth Marvel. Now, Elizabeth Marvel hasn't been in a, she's not a very recognizable actress. Um, she was most recently in the Myrit stories, uh, the Noah Bombeck, uh, Netflix okay. uh, thing with Dustin Hoffman and Adam Sandler and Ben Stiller. And she's awesome. And she's very, very like dressed down. Yeah, and I know you're talking about. She's in a lot of things. Yeah, she is. True Grit. She's Haley Steinfeld grown up. Right. And uh, she was in House of Cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She and, was the, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's been in a million things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think she would be, she's very Allison Janney-y. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I feel like I broke a part of my brain when I said that. I, I, Mini stroke. One time I had a coffee, a nice coffee, and it was stronger than usual. And I told my wife, this coffee is very coffee-y. And we laughed about it. And now it's just a thing I do regularly. I'll add like two or three extra E's to work coffee. <laughs> All right. Oh, my God. Well, that was that was fun. Yeah. That was fun. You want to do a couple of questions? Sure. Let's do a couple of questions. Question. I got something to say. I am listening. <laughs> I don't oh, know why no. I felt the need to shout at you. Minions have come inside the uh, that studio. <laughs> Fucking kick them in the face. Fucking minions. Uh, so I got a question for the Sincast. What is the best joke told in movies? Mm. Uh, this person really likes the stork joke Michael Caine tells in Children of Men. In fact, it's a joke that he tells people in real life. Ah. What do you guys think? Well, well, it. Oh, go ahead. I was just. Mine's quick and short and sweet. I, I like. I like that knock knock joke that Tom Hanks tells in Catch Me If You Can, <laughs> which is basically just an excuse to cuss people. Um, you know, knock knock, who's there? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and then later on, he's he's like, I got I got one thing to say to you, and he's like, What? Knock knock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good use of editing for humor's sake. There, yes. by the way. Uh, so anyway, that was the first th- and only real thing that came to my mind as a decent. It's not even a real joke, but nice. yeah. it's mine. Yeah. yeah. Um, the one that Quentin Tarantino uh, tells in Desperado. Uh, he's <laughs> I at literally the just watched very this beginning of the movie. He's at uh, the bar. I believe Cheech Marin is yeah. the bartender. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, it's basically just him like, and, and you'll have to excuse me. I'll have to go through this. Oh yeah. It's, it's a mouthful. He's like, this reminds me of a joke. This guy comes into a bar, walks up to the bartender, says, bartender, got me a bet for you. I'm going to bet you $300 that I can piss into that glass over there and not spill a single solitary drop. Bartender looks, I mean, we're talking like this glass is like a good 10 feet away. He says, now wait. Let me get this straight. You're trying to tell me you'll bet me $300 that you can piss standing over here, way over there into that glass and not spill a single drop? Customer looks up and says, that's right. Bartender says, young man, you got to bet. Guy goes, okay, here we go. Here we go. Pulls out his thing. He's looking at the glass, man. He's thinking about the glass. He's thinking about the glass, glass. He's thinking about the glass, glass. <laughs> thinking about his dick, dick glass, dick glass, dick glass, dick glass. And then, foosh, he lets it rip. And he he pisses all over the place, man. He's pissing on the bar. He's pissing on the stools, on the floor, on the phone, on the bartender. He's pissing everywhere except the fucking glass, right? Okay, so bartender, he's laughing his fucking ass off. He's $300 richer. He's like, ha, ha, ha. Piss is dripping off of his face. He's like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> he says, you fucking idiot, man. You got in everything except the glass. You owe me three hundred dollars, Punta. <laughs> and he's the guy goes, "Excuse me, just one, just one little second." Goes in the back in the bar. In back, there's a couple of guys playing pool. He walks over to them, comes back to the bar, goes, "Here you go, Mister Bartender, three hundred dollars." The bartender's like, "What the fuck are you so happy about? You just lost three hundred dollars, idiot." The guy says, "Well, see those guys over there." I just bet them $500 a piece that I could piss on your bar, piss on your floor, piss on your phone, and piss on you. And not only would you not be mad about it, you'd be happy. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Oh, it's great. And the way it's shot is, you know, it's these people, these stone-faced, like, bar denizens just looking at them. Like, where is this going, man? Cheech Marin's just like, fuck, I'm the fucking bartender, man. Just... That was a very Cheech Marin voice. Yeah, yeah. Introducing Barrett's Mexican voice. <laughs> yes, but it is great. Anyways, yes. uh, that's an awesome one. Mine is the classic for many reasons. In Goodwill Hunting, this is really the midpoint of the movie where Will Hunting in therapy when Robin Williams is falling asleep. He does the 
the joke. He's like, so I'm on the flight one time and uh, the the pilot is doing his regular thing. You know, we're going to cruise at, you know, 6,000 feet, blah, blah, blah. And uh, then he puts the mic down and doesn't realize that it's on. And he's he's like, man, all I could use right now is a cup of coffee and a fucking blowjob. And the stewardess runs down the aisle to tell him to turn the mic off. And some guy or a buddy of mine uh, leans over and says, don't forget the coffee. (laughs) (laughs) And Robin Williams doesn't laugh. Right. (laughs) And it's not particularly funny. It's a pretty funny joke. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But the fact that, like, it's the turning point of the entire movie. He's finally breaking the silence in therapy. It's providing an insight into have you ever traveled anywhere no it's a joke it has to be it's funny if it's mm-hmm. sold in the first fucking person you know <laughs> yeah uh and it, it just it, it's the key to that whole thing i fucking i love that mute yeah that moment i love how he starts telling the joke and then he cuts his eyes over to robin williams like okay i'm 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 the one that started to talk first i right. get it yeah. let's let's let me make a big deal about it yeah. you know <laughs> <laughs> and literally like robin williams is like hmm it's yeah. kind of like it's a, it's kind of like John Travolta's reaction to the joke in Pulp oh, Fiction. Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Too petrified to laugh. <laughs> uh, if you suddenly had to fill in for the professor of a film survey class in two hours without previous warning, what film would you pick to show and discuss? Like a film that you would have both great appreciation and extreme familiarity with to discuss minutiae, uh, composition of shots, etc. Mm, I like this question a lot. Yeah, it is very good. But you know, I've never been to film school. <laughs> I'd, I'd make a pretty bad film teacher. Really? I'm pretty sure. Oh, but you've yeah. You I can, make up you for it with some jokes and sarcasm. Yeah, but you know, it's like here's Demolition Man. <laughs> <laughs> now let's break down why Bell. this film is genius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Taco Bell's a metaphor. For... Way ahead of its time. <laughs> um, I guess I'll go first, uh, and I'll say probably I, I want to say The Matrix just because the familiarity there. Because I know that movie inside and out, mm-hmm. but I, I think I would still find myself gravitating towards the Untouchables. Ah, um, and like I said in my notes email, this is this movie is the embodiment of what Chris is trying to say when he whenever Chris says they just don't make movies this way anymore. Right, uh, the way that it's shot, the way it was scripted, the way it's acted, basically everything about it is it's almost a lost art at this point. Um, but. It, it just it does so many things so well from the acting to the score to the understanding the beats and moments and what needs to be in between them um knowing how to use silence um master class in that especially mm-hmm. that train scene shootout at the end um just fucking phenomenal i probably the matrix is my favorite movie but i probably get more boners about the untouchables <laughs> film boners yeah <laughs> Good. I'm glad you cleared Untouchables. Well, <laughs> Patricia Clarkson back in the day. Was... Well, Sean Connery gets killed, man. Yeah, Woo-hoo-hoo. totally. Brian De Palma, yep. Untouchables, yep. 1985. <laughs> <laughs> Although it was like 87. It was 87. Yeah, 87. But, 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 you know, don't forget Andy Garcia was in that, and he was not cut out of that movie. That's true. That's <laughs> true. That's right. Better than you, you stinking Irish pig. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like him. I like him. Go all day on that movie. He's over 30 years old. Yeah, thirty years old. Yeah, damn. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. Good pick. Um, I'm gonna do uh, Shaun of the Dead. Ooh, interesting. I think you could really do almost any Edgar Wright. Uh, and you could do Shaun of the Dead. You could do Hot Fuzz. You could mm-hmm. do Scott Pilgrim versus the World. And I know Scott Pilgrim versus the World has its you know its uh, extreme coffee take on some things. But even that movie, even if you're you know sort of distressed by the sort of the 
you know hyperkinetic nonsense that goes in that goes on in there there's a lot of things in there to study on that Shaun of the Dead's one of those uh the, one of those movies though that I would I would tell the class to look at the editing and look at how he makes jokes out of just editing yep. sometimes right uh especially when he's telling the plan that you know of that whole thing ending with drinking at the winchester <laughs> yeah. and everything and then somebody will bring up one little wrinkles okay well then we'll do it this way and whatever and like uh, and it would be a, it would be a good thing in screenwriting too because in during that during that whole story he ends up basically telling you exactly what's going to happen yeah mm-hmm. like the the bloody mary thing there's the the clerk named mary Mary, who's a zombie who has blood on her right. on her shirt uh all those type of things um i just, i like i like the inside jokes of their of that thing where they have the you know the whole crew runs into another crew that's exactly like them and they just happen to be other like big british tv stars at the time like martin freeman's in there and, yeah you know a whole yeah. bunch and then and just just that conversation where they <laughs> they all walk past each other and just sort of acknowledge that you know um but it's just one of those movies that you know just look at you don't see comedies shot the way that edgar wright shoots them most comedies that you see are all the same they all go to the same school we got to put the camera somewhere we might have some limited movement here and there but really we're just setting it here you we'll let the dialogue take care of itself most of the time it's not funny right um in in Shaun of the Dead, he finds so many ways to be funny just through just it's not even a joke written down on the on the on paper, yeah, right? And it just ends up making it just amusing all, all the time. It's, it's something that would be great to study, just as far as you know how to make people laugh in a movie, how to make things a joke when there's not even a joke there. And Shaun of the Dead has so much of it, so really you're just a masterclass in just about everything and i would you know you could talk about that movie for days and you can enjoy it on a very simple level yeah yeah but then you start studying it and everything it's like whoa this is even better than i thought it was and it's really it goes i think that goes for hot fuzz and scott pilgrim as well yeah because the layering of the genres is so expert the mm-hmm. same in in uh, hot fuzz too mm-hmm. and uh, i guess it's that's what fails in the end of the world yeah, right? yeah, that that yeah. There's something I don't know what there's was not going. A clear, on. Of course, it's apocalyptic and comedy, but there's not like a clear genre that it's aping, mm-hmm. really. You know, maybe a little sci-fi. But we got to give some not... of this credit to Simon Pegg too, right? Because yeah. doesn't he write or co-write most of yeah. Edgar Wright's films? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that um, th- those pair as a filmmaking duo, pretty good shit. Yeah, right? I agree. Especially I would I would do Hot Fuzz, but only because I've seen that way more than Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, I think I've seen Hot Fuzz more than I've seen Shaun of the Dead. As well. But either one would work great. They both have the same kind of thing you're talking. Even Hot Fuzz has that same. They have a conversation, and then later on, everything they talked about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, and, and Scott Pilgrim, I, I brought this up before, but Scott Pilgrim has that has has just one tiny moment in it that's great, and it was. You know, Allison Pill's character is like, oh, they have a female drummer. <laughs> and and uh, and so, like, there's a point where you you completely forget about that for a while. They finally the the sex bombs is on the gets on the stage and they start playing and everything. And there's like everybody's enjoying the music. You see all the different characters enjoying the music and everything. And then there's just that tiny cut to the other female drummer <laughs> and this camera's just kind of slow zooming in on her and she's got this look on her face like <laughs> fucking female drummer you can tell you know it's just it, 
just adding a little detail like that is just amazing to me. Yeah, yeah. Good call. Uh, this is not a film survey class, but a long time ago, I used to teach at ITT Tech. Mm. I don't even know if ITT Tech is still in business. It was. I don't a think it is, actually. Professional no. school. They went under, didn't they? Yeah, I think so. Because they had like some kind of fraud with their school loans or something. <laughs> yeah, well, I got in and out before that happened. All right, good. Uh, but I was teaching a social psychology class, and I showed them Kicking and Screaming, mm, Noah Baumbach's yeah. version, the 96 version. And it really is a good example of like, quote, in-group, out-group behavior that you learn in Psychology 101. And like, you know... Uh, all the all of them talk the same. All of them can't really live without each other. That mm. kind of thing. Moving on, circumstances could not have fallen flatter on this audience. Oh, that's too the, bad. The beats that were hilarious to me, I'm laughing, and I look out, and it's fucking crickets. Oh, geez. And they're just like, I don't get it. So that was not the best thing to show that particular class. Well, I oh think boy, it was a dictionary. Idea. I'm going to look up blowjob. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I taught a lot filthier. All the, I taught way, Dreamweaver for a whole semester without a single lesson plan, <laughs> and I didn't even know how to use Dreamweaver. Mm. Really, I'm dead serious. I took a job first. This was we mentioned this in our Everything Wrong with Cinema Sins video mm. that one of us taught two semesters of junior college. Um, so I, I first taught Publisher, Microsoft Publisher, which yeah. I knew really well. I got that job, and I guess I did a good job for the four students I had in my class. So they. They hired me the next semester. First, they asked if I knew Dreamweaver, and I lied <laughs> and said yes. And then they hired me to teach Dreamweaver. Now, at th this point in my life, I feel a little bit bad about this, like cosmically. But at this point in my life, I needed the 200 bucks a month or whatever the fuck they were paying me more than I needed, to be honest. <laughs> and so I knew the, there was only one class period I was going to have any problem with because the, the guy that hired me every semester comes and sits in on one of your classes. Yeah, yeah. And he came and sat in, and I'm like, what am I going to do here? And so, thankfully, one of the students had a question, and it just it filled a whole goddamn hour. <laughs> it was like he a asked Kevin a question, question, and I did the classic, well, what do the rest of you think we should do about this? <laughs> and that led to another question, and I did the whole, well, what do you guys think we should do here? And, of course, they knew Dreamweaver way better than I did. I didn't know it. I was writing my novel up, up at my desk. I wasn't using Dreamweaver or anything. Mm. Uh, anyway, uh, derailed. Sorry. <laughs> at least you knew the subject you were teaching. Yeah. You weren't like a uh, fraud. I did do a transportation security class, by oh, the nice. way, which is. But what I'm going to actually do for my film survey class is A Few Good Men. Mm -hmm. Not only that I know it backwards and forwards and inside and out, probably could quote the entire movie from start to finish. It's obviously got a terrific script from Aaron Sorkin. It's the shots and the camera work from Rob Reiner are fantastic. Mm -hmm. The performances from Cruz and Nicholson and Demi Moore and Kevin Pollack, spot on. Like everything about that movie is perfect. And it's not bombast. It's not covered in effects or anything like that. It's literally just a straightforward story done perfectly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, man, you could get a lot of mileage out of that. Yeah. No, that's a good call. Anyway, let's do one more question real All quick. Right. All right. What's the best movie on a budget? I'm almost more impressed with what Paranormal Activity was able to do on such a little budget than I am with the movie itself. I agree. Uh, with your experience with film, what do you think did the most with the least? And the bonus question, what movies failed to do something with an abundance of resources? Mm. There's a lot more on the latter list that we could list yeah, than the former. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I feel like Donnie Darko did the most with mm. what it had. Six million dollar budget. Yeah. It didn't make even six million dollars, though. It made like, it it like 1.2 well, million. Well, and five million probably went to Seth Rogen. Yeah, totally. Because the, they, they, they were investing in futures at the 
time. <laughs> you had uh, big stars in that though. Yeah, you had Drew Barrymore, Noah Wiley at the time, mm-hmm. Patrick Swayze. Yeah, so- yeah, and then you know, future Jake Gyllenhaal and Maggie Gyllenhaal. <laughs> future Jake. Um, <laughs> We're casting the future versions of. That's you. right. Everybody's like that, and yeah, you had uh, Mary Mary McDonald uh-huh. and all that. Yeah, it's a, a lot of people in there, and uh, yeah, future Jenna Malone. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh but yeah the the thing is i I remember watching um i never i i was like these effects are really good that are in donnie darko like the little digital you know especially like when he goes and hits the you know he pokes the the mirror with a knife or whatever and it's got that pool like thing or whatever and apparently i I think uh i think i heard this on the commentary for this movie once Richard Kelly said, "Like, yeah, I got this guy who just basically just did this for nothing, almost. Just wow. did it for nothing, almost. I don't know how much they ended up paying him or whatever for it, but he, this guy, just gave him all these great effects, like the the thing with the poking the knife, the the little future paths, yeah, that, yeah. The, you know that they that you see them about to walk and all that. They're still impressive. Yeah, they still are, and especially for a movie two thousand one, six million dollars and everything." Uh, so I think it did a lot with with almost nothing. Um, I love the sound in that too. Yeah. The, the voice of Frank the Rabbit is like terrifying. Oh yeah, it's right up yeah. here. <laughs> and uh, the uh, the the music <laughs> in it too is really oh, yeah, uh, yeah. really memorable soundtrack. Love to that. that. Um, I was looking at the most expensive movies ever made, and obviously we could go through a menagerie of movies that were big budget and did not use it very well and everything. I was surprised to find out that John Carter was made for $268 million. Wow. 268 Yeah. Holy fuck. And, of course, we, we don't know exactly the totals of all these things, but we know, I think, whenever a figure is stated, we can at least start there, or yeah. it's somewhere around there, or whatever. And, yeah, John Carter, uh, there I, there's not a movie that conflicts me more as far as the talent involved and what we got, you know, because Andrew Stanton, he felt like he was going to be another Brad Bird type of guy. I mean, he did all these great Pixar movies, and then he does this John Carter, (laughs) and it's such a bland, plain action special effects movie, doesn't have anything much to offer at all. Yeah. Uh, I understand the, the, maybe the, the want or need to adapt this old uh this old book and everything but by this point we've seen so many things john carter there's nothing special about that story Mm -hmm. anymore so they went and did this big huge big budget extravaganza thing and hoping that taylor kitsch would take off and all that many have hoped that taylor kitsch would take off yeah he's still around i think he's a good actor it's just that i don't think he's a leading man or anything i I think they tried to make him that for some reason i don't think that's i think that's against type for him uh but uh but yeah i was very surprised to see that and i don't think they got much out of that the effects are terrible yeah um and uh and you know there's nothing really special about it that would make it 200 and something dollars worth of money to make yeah good call um making the most of its budget i'm going with uh primer a movie i've mentioned oh yeah several times a time travel movie that'll probably need to watch six or seven times before you even begin to understand it and that's part of the reason i think they made the most of their budget is that they created something that that was so confounding and um compelling mm. that it has 
a huge, well, not huge, it's got a very rabid fan base, people who love it. People, You go to Reddit, anytime there's any kind of what's the best time travel movie thread, you're going to see Primer, probably one of the most upvoted. It's also just trendy to like Primer. Mm. Um, and I've told you guys before, listeners and you two, that I've, I've seen this movie. I don't have any desire to watch it five more times <laughs> just to understand it, but I get why people love it. I can see that. And it was made for $7,000. Yeah. God. Yeah. That's crazy. $7,000. <laughs> Like, that's half a car. Yeah. It's pretty easy to get your hands on, you know? You, yeah. Everybody's got a rich uncle somewhere. Yeah. $7,000. Anyway, my other end of the spectrum, I'm going with my main man, and Kevin Costner in Waterworld. <laughs> $175 million they yeah. spent. Yeah. Wow. And $175. And, $1995. Yeah. And basically, it's water and jet skis. <laughs> And where did that money go? Oh, How I'm much pretty did sure. Well, I'm pretty sure it was rewrites and reshoots because he and Kevin Reynolds, Kevin Reynolds was directing the film at right. first and left the project. Costner basically directed it himself. Basically, half of Costner's movies, that story is true. Um, so I'm pretty sure the expense and the budget came from reshoots, extensive reshoots. Well, also, it uh, wasn't this one of those movies because water is notoriously hard to film movies on. And everything that they ran into, like hurricanes and all that other oh, I'm type sure of that stuff. Was part that, of it, because I think that's what happened with like Cutthroat Island and a lot of these, you know, real big budget bomb type movies that are set on the water. Just that, build a tank, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's cheaper <laughs> than one hundred seventy-five million <laughs> to build a tank. Don't be dude who made Leisure Class and say we got to have the real water, man. We get <laughs> nobody's going to know this is the Pacific Ocean unless <laughs> unless we're on the Pacific Ocean. I mean, it got. Even even when Waterworld came out, it shouldn't have been hard to shoot that on a lake and then just yeah. digitally remove the houses and trees on the shoreline. Um, so I, you know, I don't I don't know exactly. Costner was probably making twenty million a picture at that point as a mm -hmm. leading man. Uh, they they ran way long on shooting, so I'm sure that's part of it. Um, maybe Dennis Hopper was unreasonable and demanded a lot of money i don't know <laughs> a lot of drugs you watch that movie and you are not looking at 175 million dollars you're looking at what looks like maybe 60 well kevin costner's urine alone would have been like 50 million right <laughs> it is it is the best movie that opens with a man drinking his own piss mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I got to think about that for a little while. <laughs> right. There's about five I'm, or six I'm that are like rattling around my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that uh, that quote in uh, in Dodgeball. It's like, is it necessary for me to drink my own urine? No, but it's sterile, and I like the taste. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> for my uh, small budget, you should. Everybody should see this movie. I think it's on Netflix or one of those streaming services. It's Darren Aronofsky's first movie, Pie. Yeah, and I, I watched this again recently, and this will really like cook your noodle, man. Like this is this is good stuff. It's very bizarre. You don't know what's real and what's not real. Mm -hmm. uh, the performances are great. Like it's a really complex story. And you could tell that it was very cheap. I think it was like $68,000 mm -hmm. that he shot this mm -hmm. one, uh, which is insane. Um, but man, it's so good. And for my, and I guess we should pay lip service to Clerks. Clerks cost $28,000 mm. to make and obviously, you know, launched the career of, uh, of a few people. Uh, and then the big budget squandered, man. I, I'm not as big, I guess, as you guys, but like Speed Racer had a $120 million budget. Mm. and didn't come anywhere close. And that, and that was all effects. Yeah, it was all mm -hmm. CG. It was all CG. I the movie know, has its lovers, though. I was about I to know. say, I know a few people who love that movie. I do, I too. Know. I can't... I, 
and I'm as probably open to Wachowski stuff as anybody, or more so. I can't get on board with that. Yeah, one. anytime I watch even just a little bit of it, I'm like, ah, no, no, it's not good. No, it's not. I don't, I don't know how these people watch it. That I would love to, but uh, no. And but. I was a Speed Racer junkie. Were like, you really? The, the original. Oh hell yeah, man! Especially because right when I got to college was when that became this like nostalgic wave of like t-shirt and lunchbox shops. Yeah. Like, so like you could buy a Speed Racer shirt that was brand new. But Speed Racer hadn't been on in like 15 years, <laughs> and that kind of stuff was really pop. So I had a little figure and a lunchbox and a thermos and shirts and love me some Speed Racer. Interesting. Man. Yeah, I watched, I watched some Speed Racer back in the day. I also watched that, uh, what was it called, Devlin, that was the motorcycle guy. Oh, I didn't watch that. Oh, movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched yeah. that, too. <laughs> I did watch Street Hawk, the live action oh, motorcycle yeah, yeah, version yeah. of Night Street Basically, Hawk. Knight Rider with a motorcycle. Yeah. Devlin was the go-bots of we, uh, Speed Racer's Transformers. Street Hawk, we have now take of that i remember street hawk yeah we did <laughs> yeah we did a, we did uh we did the opening of street hawk like the, it was for bat- batman it was for one of the batman movies i think oh yeah i don't remember which one it was it was somebody riding a motorcycle and busting out onto the street which and is the, what he always did in street that hawk. opening <laughs> narration the street hawk yeah um <laughs> i don't even remember this all right well that'll do it for this week uh keep going to sincast presented by cinema sins facebook page keep going to uh soundcloud keep going to reddit keep going to we got uh, there's a million ways to reach us. that's right baby so, uh, uh go and uh, tell us how we did on this one but uh, that'll do it for this week it's chris atkins and jeremy scott and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube twitter facebook and reddit and be sure to visit cinemasends.com I know there'll probably be devastating consequences later, but I just love Amazon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I told you guys, I bought my new te- sneakers on Amazon. If I can buy it on Amazon, I will. My wife will be like, okay, it's my sister's birthday. I'm going to send you some stuff we might be able to get her. And she has learned over the last three years to only send me Amazon links. Yeah. And every now and then she'll come to me and go, this is Etsy. It's probably safe to get, you know, to use your credit card. Because I'm pretty stingy about where I use my credit card. Yeah, yeah. But also Prime membership with all the TV and the yep. free two-day delivery. And it's just, they have everything. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty soon, like maybe before I die, they'll be selling marijuana from Amazon. They yeah. sell houses on Amazon now. Yeah, they sell all kinds of crazy shit. Yeah. They send you like tiny, you know, the tiny house thing? Yeah. They they sell like kits for tiny houses that well, you put together. I, I got to be honest, this is not my rant topic for the day, but I am so fucking over the tiny house bullshit. <laughs> you like, know what's crazy about tiny who houses? Who do you think you're fooling? Do you ever watch it? Yes. Okay, so- what they inevitably every time they walk into one of these places they're like man this is small yeah and i'm like what the fuck are you looking for man? i know you're well, in a fucking tiny house you're on a show called tiny house here's Hunters. the deal if you can't if you <laughs> can't like, this bathroom's a little small i don't know if you can't go number two without everyone in the house smelling it your house is too damn small this show and it's also a cruel show because there's when families have kids they're always like okay kids here's all your stuff Choose one item. <laughs> the rest is going to Goodwill. And the kids are like, can we keep the dog? One of my neighbors was building a tiny house in his backyard. God knows why. Are you serious? Um, and every time my wife and I walk around the neighborhood, we end up talking about tiny houses because he's made some sort of progress. He's got the shingles on now or what have you. Like Now we speculate, what's he doing it for? Is it for a hobby? Is he going to sell it? Is he going to stick his grandma out there and keep it in the backyard? But there's nothing... 
practical about a tiny house. You are basically making yourself and everyone in your family super uncomfortable mm-hmm. for, like, what? Mental peace of mind? It's, it's like cheaper, recycling. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, cheaper. Like downsizing the movie. But yeah, you exactly. know what? When you live in a tiny house, absolute vodka still costs the same amount. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still a full-size person. <laughs> well, and I actually read this article. I haven't seen the movie yet, but I read this article about how if the technology and downsizing were real, it would actually be super expensive to live that lifestyle until there were enough people doing it that they could mass create small things. Sure, yeah. Because if you're the first hundred tiny people... Well, tiny shirts are going to cost a shit ton because mm. somebody's going to have to probably make that by hand. There's not, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I thought that was a fascinating article. Tiny shirts. I had never heard of this show. Those tiny homes. <laughs> it's uh, there's they're literally square footage wise probably ultimately not much bigger than this room. Yeah. And they somehow work in a sink, a toilet, a couch, three or four different. It's it's all levels, Jerry. Yeah, yeah it is. They it is. do a bunch of different levels and like, okay, here's the the top bunk. That'll be where the kids can chill and relax. And I guess I, the idea is um, you spend more time outside maybe. Yeah. But still, give me a fucking break. <laughs> Everything is like kind of like compartmentalized. Like we've hidden your entire closet within this tiny little chest. Here. Yeah. I mean, the bed like you open it up and it's like all the- The, the bed will be one of those come out of the wall beds that yeah. folds down so that you can fold it up and yeah, then, yeah. oh, there's a couch on the other side of it or some bullshit. But it's basically like a camper, mm-hmm. only smaller. How much do those go for? Probably- That's like three grand or somewhere around there. No, so that, that, they're probably 15 or 20 grand. Well, it depends on which ones, I guess. But I mean, significantly cheaper, cheaper than a house. Mm-hmm. But do you want to live that way? No, I mean, I just, I just wanted to know what, <laughs> especially like, a guy your height. No, I would never live in one. But I, I, I was thinking like if, if there were some properly located and everything, it'd be nice to have like if you wanted to like, you know, it was on the beach or something. Of course, you're never going to get it beachfront on right you know, yeah, like beachfront property. Right, you're never <laughs> getting that. But I'm just saying that if you if there was a place that you wanted to go, that could be your like away place or whatever, like you know to to hang out. But no, that makes a certain amount of sense because we my family had a trailer down mm-hmm. in Panama City, mm-hmm. and uh, that was tiny. But that's a vacation house. It's not the place where well, you're that's living. What I'm saying. <laughs> and you're not having to give up all your shit yeah. just because yeah. you, what, you believe in minimalism? Mm-hmm. Get the fuck out of here, yeah. you pretentious <laughs> bastard. There's a tiny house Wouldn't community. would the dating fat women <laughs> conflict with the <laughs> minimalism? <laughs> like, they'll have, like, a the toilet in the shower. <laughs> yeah. So you can shit and shower yes. at the same time. <laughs> Sitting there. Well, at Why least not? it's efficient. Why not? <laughs> shit and shower. Well now, well now you just invented a business, a shit and shower. Shit and shower. That's the the thing with the military. We went to a Shark Tank with that. <laughs> would <laughs> do you want to try it out? <laughs> would Cuban like takes off his blazer? He's like, like, all right, let's do this. Like we're selling, we're selling this all over the country. Like, well, do you want to uh, sell these units, or do you want to like, uh, do you want to have a uh, uh, you know, a major manufacturer buy your stuff or whatever. You want to license it to Lowe's. Yeah, license it to Lowe's. <laughs> the shit and shower. Those will be the exclusive one place where you can buy the and, shit and shower. And, you know, the you know, Mr. Wonderful will be like, I've seen things like this before. There's like three of these on the market. <laughs> All you've done is taken a shower and a toilet and combined them. That's nothing novel here. There's no IP. <laughs> Do you have a patent? <laughs> I just want to know how I make money. <laughs> You guys have watched a lot of Shark Tank. I've watched oh, a man, shit watched ton of Shark Tank. I've even watched like the fucking Canadian version, which is like the Dragon's Den or some shit. 
There's a Canadian version? Yes. What's crazy is I don't think I've ever seen a Shark Tank, like a new episode of it. It's just always those like marathons that they yeah. play. And I'll flip over and I'm like, okay, I'm watching Shark Tank now. And then suddenly it's like four hours later. <laughs> there's a Canadian version of a lot of things. There's a Canadian Chopped. There's a yeah, Canadian MasterChef. Mm -hmm. It's like... They don't want to be part of our culture. Well, they want to be their own thing. It's almost <laughs> like having an entirely new season of stuff to watch, right? It, it is in many cases. Like the, I'm not a big fan of Chopped anyway. Yeah, I find it a little bit gimmicky mm -hmm. and, and w way too much filler for what amounts to about five minutes of content I would care about. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> unlike Top Chef, which I greatly enjoy. Yeah. Are, are they more polite, those um, the Canadian versions? A, they say A a lot. The, the, well, the Canadian Chopped is hosted by... The dude that is or was married to Tori Spelling. Um, I don't even. I guess he's Dean gonna, something. I don't know. He I looks like a guy being... that would be married to Tori Spelling. <laughs> I like. Either. I like. Are you going to put this yet. one up somewhere, or is it just like it's yeah, trash? Yeah, that's going to go. We... It's totally <laughs> trash. <laughs> I'm going to put it outside on the curb and see what happens. <laughs> now that we got the one mil, the 100k is oh, out. Like, so like 35 years later, I'm at somebody's house. I'm like, yeah, this was just out there on the curb. <laughs> <laughs> No, and we got the uh, the CinemaSense thing. Oh, nice. Too. I like that. Mounted above the door. Mm -hmm. That's right, baby. Excellent. This one, because uh, Chris had to, to go do something, I had to to hang this by myself, and it weighs like probably 60 I've pounds or something it. like yeah. that. And so, but you've got to get like the fucking, the, the rivulets right perfectly, and I, I was like straddling the desk and everything, and I was like, ah, oh, this is a bad idea. Yeah, I, I heard some swearing. <laughs> I think that I was, sounds uh, like a sitcom episode. It was that it was that day where it was like a convergence <laughs> of like script had to be looked at, <laughs> a whole bunch of other stuff had to be done, blah, 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 and I went over and did some of that. So I'm in the other room, and suddenly I'm hearing like, shit, motherfucker. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was I, I told Chris like they, it's it's like the serrated uh, metal on the end, and every time like you try to grip it, if, especially if your hands are sweaty, it's slicing through your your fingers. So I'm like, there's blood pouring all over it. I'm like trying to to get this up, and smelled like a fucking locker room. <laughs> mm -hmm, stuff. Mm -hmm. But it looks good. Yeah, it looks nice. Yeah. Let's, let's right. just not rehang it again anytime soon. No, it's nope. staying there until you the house comes down. You see that they've dramatically reduced the size and, I guess, weight of the million. <laughs> That's what kills me now. is that every single plaque we've gotten in between Cinema Sins and MVS Sins are all different. Yeah. They're, every one of them are different. Like, the the uh, 100,000 one for us was small. The MVS one was bigger. Right. Yeah. The one that we got for a million was huge. The one for MVS, oh, maybe we went a little bit overboard on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>